For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. At this stage, we're into the final hours for the hunt for the Titan submersible. And final hours is the headline that makes this morning sun today. Uh, there's all sorts of robots and all sorts of emergency equipment and crews uh, joining the hunt for Titan 5. And as we know from yesterday, I don't know whether you watched the press conference uh, from Boston, yes, last evening at about six o'clock, uh, many of the journalists kept on asking questions about the banging being heard. Um, now, unfortunately, um, when you look at the amount of oxygen on board, they had 96 hours of bottled oxygen. Estimates now that the supply could run out today um, around about midday. Um, and it's awful even saying that. It could be a little longer than that, depending on how they've been trying to conserve uh, oxygen on board uh, Titan. Uh, the banging, I was watching Sky yesterday and then it was flipping to GB News. Sky were a lot more kind of reserved about it. GB News were making a big deal out of the banging being actual Morse code. The banging on the hull of the submersible and the banging on the hour and on the half hour. But at the press conference then 6pm last evening um, that was kind of somewhat played down, you know, the, the, because they, they say they're honing in on the area of the banging. But a lot of the papers carry it today. Over a dozen ships racing to the Titanic site in the hunt. I couldn't help but wonder over the last few days because it's this is this started on Sunday morning. Would it not have been possible? I don't know. I mean, if it was, I'd imagine these people are experienced enough to know that they would do that, that they would take a massive Chinook helicopter or in some way try and fly a lot of the emergency equipment and, and then with some kind of uh, harnesses, drop it onto the, the sea, onto the, onto the sea, and then it could have started the work on, on Monday as opposed to a lot of it kind of uh, in, the, in the final hours. But that's the headline making the sun today, the final hours. Still hearing banging from the deep, but the sub, in fact, the star this morning is saying uh, the sub's air could run out at 11 a.m. this morning. And one of the other headlines there is, at this stage, we need a miracle. Even James Cameron, the man who filmed the film Titanic, makes the papers today. They're talking about the curse of Titanic. He says it's one of the most unforgiving sites on Earth, he says. And there was an Irishman uh, making the mail today, a fellow called Oisin Fanning, who actually made the deep sea dives on Ocean Gate's Titan submersible last summer uh, with two of the men who are currently trapped on board it. And he previously made it uh, and he said that there was a breakdown of communication during the 12-hour expedition, as in they lost contact with the surface. Um, the papers also uh, talk about a German adventurer who went to the site of Titanic two years ago uh, on the missing Titan, a man by the name of Arthur Loby. He's 60 now. He said that he felt incredibly lucky to survive his uh, journey to the deep on Titan. Uh, he went down to the Atlantic wreck site in 2021. He said it was a suicide mission back then. He was on the voyage with, uh, again, with two of those that are on board and trapped um, uh, at the moment. And he said, it, you know, he said my mission was the fifth one, but we also went into the water five hours late due to electrical problems. And he says on the way down, one of the brackets for the stabilization tube fell off the vessel. Apparently they reattached it with zip ties, would you believe? Uh, there's also criticism of the Titan itself, with many world export experts saying that they warned the company that the actual design of it wasn't good enough and it could result in anything from minor to catastrophic results. Uh, and uh, during an interview on LBC, uh, somebody from the Royal Navy said this is a dodgy piece of technology. Why on earth would they go into a dodgy piece of technology where you actually have to sign away any right to sue the company for emotional damage, injury and death? 
and he said uh, that without emitting any signal from Titan, it's just impossible to find it in the time scale. This is a craft at the bottom of the ocean, perhaps, that cannot send signals, apart from the possibility of this banging. And then I was telling you yesterday about the story of the Royal Navy Navy submariner Roger Chapman, who was 28 at the time, when he set off with uh, another Royal Engineer, Roger Mallison. They were... Uh, how many how many hours were they on the, the, the bottom? I mean, you told me earlier on this morning, I have some 84 hours. Imagine that, 84 hours in the dark in the seabed in 1973. But I, I will return to this in a few minutes' time because of a part of his interview is a much older man now than he was in 1973, obviously, but he described his, uh, his, um, his, his uh, awful experience to Sky News yesterday. And, and then it's not lost on me that we have four different countries searching for the submersible and those on board, and every life is sacred, don't get me wrong. The Americans are involved, the Canadians are involved, the French are involved, and the British are involved. So it's huge amounts of manpower, for want of a better term, being put into this and a lot of high tech, you know, an awful lot of money. Uh, But at the same time, I can't help but wonder that this is a big boy's toy, that people pay huge money uh, to take a risk like that. Um, And and it's very sad. It really and truly is. But it isn't lost to me as well that, you know, there was a a shipwreck there recently off Greece. And these were refugees trying to get from Libya, uh, trying to get to Italy. And they were shipwrecked off the Greek coast now. They figured that there was upwards of about 750 people on board. I don't know um, what the final death toll on this was, but I know it was very, very high. And unfortunately, there was a lot of children on board it. And there wasn't really as much talk as, as say, for instance, there is with regards to the submersible Titan, even though it sounds hypocritical to me because I'm talking about it as well. But I think it really has captured everybody's attention. So if there's any updates between now and when we get off the air this morning, and it's becoming extremely unlikely at this stage, because they're even saying if they found Titan now, it would take a lot of time to get it to the surface. Uh, So you're up to date, really, I think, on that one. If there's any more updates uh, paper-wise, well, there won't be at this stage, but if there's any live updates, I'll come back to them. One of the things we finished up with on the air yesterday was the Cork Nursing Homes crisis. I say crisis because apparently the issues regarding Beaumont residential care will affect an awful lot more uh, care settings uh, by all accounts. And it's a front page of making the echo today. Fair deal is in crisis. Uh, There was a dull protest yesterday by family members of loved ones in Beaumont residential care. Um, and of course, tomorrow night is Bonfire Night, as we say here on Leaside, Bonanite. There is an alternative to Bonanite, and it's non-fire night, where they put on family events that doesn't involve burning things. Um, but uh, the message goes out again uh, today, ahead of tomorrow's Bonanite, uh, to be careful. Uh, and the fire services in Cork City are asking people to be vigilant. Um, and Victor Shine makes the papers today because... Uh, there's an awful lot of call-outs for Cork City Fire Brigade tenders and members of Vanguardia Shikona. I think it's getting better. You know, I think it is. Uh, the events uh, that are taking place are, are on both sides of the Lee and the Echo has all of the different places on the papers this morning. I think people are copping themselves on more. Uh, it used to be some of them were quite antisocial and God only knows what people were throwing on top of the bonfires. But one great story, of course, and this was very much on the air on this program. And I think you guys can take some credit for this because it was only by talking about it. And I'm, I'm not going to be blowing anybody's trumpets here, but um, the issue with regards to the famine graveyard Hopefully at Cars Hill will now improve uh, because Cork City Council is going to take over the minding of it and the looking after of it from the HSE, who did a pretty appalling job. Now, the problem, of course, for Cork City Council is they claim 
they haven't got any money. But at the same time, money needs to be found for this very important historic site. I'll talk a little later on this morning with uh, Councillor and Historian Kieran McCarthy on this, but we are talking about upwards of 30,000 people from pre-famine all the way up to the 1950s. Their final resting place is All Saints Cemetery on Cars Hill. And I was up there months back and it was in a shocking state. And then there's an interesting story I'll talk to Kieran McCarthy about as well, making today's Cork independent regarding our toilet facilities on Leaside. You know the very discreet one on the Grand Parade? And boy, is it discreet. Uh, the sign for Highland Security is more clear than the sign of the words toilet on it. They need to get a sign up there letting people know what it is because I'm told on the inside it's Midaza um, it's um, you know you pay with your with your tap and go and in you go 50 cent uh, but there's a story making this morning's Cork Independent where Kieran McCarthy says he runs walking tours in the city and that the public facilities are just not good enough he says the public toilets in the city are completely and utterly inadequate I think somewhere in the article he says there are three different public toilets I'd love to know what the other ones were to be quite honest with you they're taken away uh, the existing ones that have shut just been shut shabbily um, sitting there on the Grand Parade which I think is another disgrace to be honest with you um, but he, he claims what can they do at council they ain't got no money well they found plenty money for robot trees didn't they Kieran? what was all that about I was driving up to uh, pick somebody up off the train last night it got in at half past eleven so went in a little earlier and had a drive around Cork City good buzz good buzz around about quarter past ten past eleven a lot of people out there was a few dopes roaring and screaming up and down would you get that in any city other than that there was a lot of people well dressed in all their finery people look cool and funky on the Grand Parade always good on Patrick Street and then I went around onto McCartan Street and it was like as if there'd been a million kango hammers at work up there what is going on on McCartan Street but in spite of that I was driving along at about 10 past 11 and the buzz outside and inside the Shelburne was a sight to behold it looked fantastic the place was hopping the Shelburne Bar and fair play to them everybody was enjoying himself and there was a great buzz uh, but that story with regards to whatever the heck has gone on in McCartan Street makes this morning's uh, echo because um, it's a fact you couldn't get it you couldn't get a bus down there like and then we, we make two of the top ten trip advisors list with regards to tourist attractions on Leaside one is Nanonagle Place and the other is Spike Island we're in two in the top ten for TripAdvisor. Unfortunately, it's very Dublin-centric. I know, don't ask me why, uh, but it is. But at least we got two there. And there's a lot of stories then related to hotel prices. Now, one of them is connected to Photo Wildlife Park, and we're giving away wonderful passes for them this this week, and I'd urge everybody to make Photo Wildlife Park um, a destination over the summer for yourself and the family. But they're saying that um, there's been a, there was a decline in visitor numbers last year, and the main reason behind it is... Is, uh, lack of hotel capacity. So there's less hotel beds and those that are available are too dear. A lot of the whole beds of hotels, of course, have flipped to Ukrainian refugee accommodation. But we got to see hotel operators in action again yesterday with the Taylor Swift price, um, the hotel price raise, hotel price rises for the Taylor Swift gigs. Now, there'll be another day when we'll talk about the price of a Taylor Swift ticket, which I'm told can be Lula money. Uh, but you know, we were talking about Ivey Gardens yesterday, the hotel that had a price up of €999 Euro for the night of the Taylor Swift gig. They've come out and said, 
We haven't even set the rates yet. They said uh, Booking.com just put down a kind of um, a default rate of 99, €999.99. Euros and 99 cent. Uh, you should check back again and you'll see later in the year that the prices will probably be a lot less than that, possibly starting around €200 Euro per night. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Wouldn't it be as easy for Booking.com to give a proper price rather than a €999.99 Euro and 99 cent default price? Because even that default price, some misfortunate person might actually pay it only to find out that it wasn't the real price in the first place. So I don't know about that response from Ivy Gardens, but we're certainly Ireland's most expensive European nation. The star carries the story today. Officially now, the most expensive country in the European Union for goods and services. Now, why are you telling me it's that way? Is it because we're on the furthest fringe of Europe, way over in the West? Or has it got to do with greed and gouging? I don't know. Well, the hotels certainly give us an example of this. And legally, they can't lay a glove on the hotels, including Pascal Donahue warning them uh, not to price gouge. Technically, there's no one can intervene because it is, of course, uh, the commercial sector and the private sector. Um, Then, of course, um, you couldn't make this up. And I'm not talking about our our, our fantastic number one podcast here. I'm talking about um, uh, the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, uh, saying, I'm hearing all of the time that college doors open and everyone simply gets on a plane to Sydney. He says, that's not true. He says, the majority actually stay in Ireland. And we need to make sure that as many as possible stay in Ireland. I don't know about that. I would love to see the numbers as to how many stay and how many go. He cannot play this down and say it's not a problem because it is. There was a photograph there at Christmas time of hundreds of Irish doctors and nurses on Bondi Beach and they all posed for a photograph. So what's all that about? Mind you, he does say in the same breath then that he encourages people to be honest. He says, I encourage people to go abroad, live abroad, get a taste of life abroad, work abroad, uh, get international experience. Uh, yeah, right in the middle of a health crisis, I suppose. Papers also today uh, talk about um, the issue regarding free legal aid in this country. Um, it's nuts, the amount of money that's spent on it, but everybody is entitled to a defence. But apparently 26 barristers in Ireland earned in excess of €200,000 alone from the free legal aid scheme. Mind you, three quarters of the barristers, like over 600 of them, earned less than fifty grand. And there are a lot of barristers who make very little money, it has to be said. But the big issue really isn't free legal aid. It's the amount of money that's being spent on the appeals on free legal aid. Maybe you should get one free legal aid appeal. But if you're a repeat offender and you're constantly appealing, well, maybe that should be looked at. You had to pay for your appeals yourself. There's a warning gone out in government circles now, according to the Mirror, that that ministers and government and those in charge should not use artificial intelligence apps to draft government policy. Um, I don't know about that. Um, I, I think that it might be a good thing if we had artificial intelligence drafting Irish governmental policy because it could only do a better job than the real human beings that are doing it at the moment and have been for quite some time. And it's a story, you know, for those of you that like to get fillers, not not so much Botox now or different kinds of injectables like that, but fillers, um, because anybody can get an inject filler into your face. They don't need to be a doctor nor a nurse. It's wide open. It's like the Wild West. But there's a doctor makes the papers this morning, Dr. Brian Cotter, who's the medical director of Sisu. He says he has seen women narrowly avoid blindness after fillers were incorrectly injected into their face. 
like to talk to that guy about things like that because it can do irreparable damage if you got someone who doesn't know what they're doing sticking uh, fillers, injectables into your face. Uh, narrowly in vo- avoiding blindness. So, you know, that's an interesting story that makes the mail this morning and I will, may well come back to it over the next couple of days. I'm just going to plough ahead, lads, if you don't mind. Come, up to, come back to everything else uh, throughout the course of the morning. Text 0868104106 and if there's an update on uh, the Titan, we will come back to it if there's news with regards to anything happening uh, at the actual site itself near Titanic. But straight to the phone lines we go. Evelyn, good morning. Good morning. I know you're under ferocious pressure and you've got a lot going on in your life. Are you single parent in Mallow with two kids wearing them on your own? Yes. Okay. And and soon we'll have nowhere to go, is that right? Literally, yeah. Okay. I was talking to Remy on the air yesterday down in Rial, who's in the same scenario in the sense that his house is being sold. He says to mm-hmm. the hotel to flip it to Ukrainian refugees. What What's your issue? Why, why are you getting evicted? Uh, selling the house, the landlord is. No uh, that's really it. I suppose the increase in the price for the houses drove them to do so. I suppose I can't blame them for that. So uh, it not, it's similar to the all story, an offer they couldn't refuse. As in? As in well, the, pr- the, the price of the house, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. Like I suppose if they get a better, whatever offer they're going to get for it, that, that's really it. Okay. So it's just now... I got my first refusal, obviously, on the house if you don't want to buy it. There was plenty of schemes, but not everything located for the second-hand homes, even though for the single parent, you still can't even get a loan mortgage or anything. Could you uh, put, a, could you put um, a deposit together? With the renting for the house in the first place, at the prices that they are now, trying to raise the kids, live, it's nearly impossible. Did the council buy the house, or was it bought privately by someone else? Well, the council probably could buy the house. I'm in the process of looking into that because there no, is that. You know, the, you, know the, you know the house that you're in that's being sold, right? Yes. Uh, is it a private buyer is buying it or do you know whether... I don't know who is buying it, to be honest. Yeah. So at the moment, the house is up for sale. Whoever okay. going to buy it, it's whoever going to buy it, really. Okay. So does that mean that you... If I want it, I can have it too. Are you on a, are you on a housing right list? There. No. Uh, on a process of... So that's, it's for a while I'm getting my documentation as well because there is issues with that, obviously. There is always an issue. When you have any issue, there's another one arise. When it rains and pours in my situation at the moment. And how old are the kids? Seven and eight. All right. And are they going to school locally in Mallow, close yeah. to home? Yeah. 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 Um, so you'd be a county council tenant then if you were to go on a housing list? I should be, yes. Yeah. So what are you going to do? What's, what is, what is the tenant in situ plan? Well, the plan, to be honest, everybody, well, not, don't talk about it. Does, nobody knows anything about it. Uh, they kind of put me from pillar to post. There was actually a local councillor knocking at my door a couple of weeks ago. Told him my story. He advised me to ring him. I did. And to my surprise, I advised him of tenant in situ and I wanted kind of like a more information from him. Is tenant he in situ where me. the house would be sold but you would stay in it and the new buyer yes. would be your landlord? The council, so the council would buy the house um, and the council would become your landlord and you would pay the same amount of rent what you're currently paying with your landlord. Yeah. Yeah, that would be the best case scenario for you. 
it would really, it would definitely save an awful lot of a hassle, but trying to get in touch with someone that deals with it. So county council send you to city council. No, 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 not city council. You're Mallow. Yeah, but I rang the county council, which is down in Mallow. They provided me with the number for the city council. There's two designated people that deals with it, with the tenant in situ scheme in the Cork City Council. So not even in county council, but in the city. Oh, so that makes absolutely sending. no sense. But anyway, I don't know what but that is. But trying to get in touch with the people that actually deal with it for yeah. the last couple of months, merely impossible. What do you do? Do you, do you phone, is it? You phone and no one answer. You'll be put through to someone and you can leave a message and I probably left a message once every day and it just sometimes gets upsetting that, it, you know, I just actually said to the girl yesterday, look, don't put me through. Just maybe find out whether the person is there. One is on the leave for the last two months. The other one doesn't even answer the phone. Constantly right, okay. out of the office. Is that the, so, is that the answer on the phone? I'm currently out of the office. Well, no, it's just that they can't answer and basically please leave the message. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. do and I leave my number and all and you know what, I haven't even got a call back. Okay, and you've left a message every single day for a considerable yeah. period of time and nobody has ever recall- no. called you back, right? No. Have you ever had the answering machine say that the message box is full? No. Okay, okay. Haven't. Yeah. That happens too because there are so yeah, many. Yeah, because obviously when there is the box. message, when the box, box message is full, obviously you can't leave the message and so on. So okay. no one is obviously checking it. But I yeah. suppose on some point someone must be checking it. Yeah. Well, the defence that works. they would make is that they're overworked and are dealing with so much that they can't also answer the phone because they're dealing with so much crisis. Absolutely, yeah. I understand. But I suppose then counter answer you could say probably hire more people that knows about it so you're, what, what you're saying and others are saying it as well <laughs> is if you get somebody to answer the phone you could encourage them to City Hall has no money incidentally that claim to have no money to buy the house at 230 grand and you'd stay on as a tenant in the same rent yeah, yeah. exactly that would be perfect would be ideal yeah but I what it depends on is whether you're ticking as a person in a boxes um, for the tenants in situ there is kind of a two option into it so for people who receive a half let's say they have an option when their landlord is selling and for people who basically can't afford to buy their own house there is an option for that yeah. but the down point probably what it comes to is whether the council actually have the money yeah. Yeah. to buy yeah. the house and probably that's where everything here is all happy out because I actually got with someone like uh, it was some sort of a line anyway that I called spoke to the lovely gentleman he actually gave me a good bit of an information it's just down to the price of the house yeah okay really. okay I'll be talking to a, a, a city councillor a little later this morning and I'll, I'll get him to explain and talk through that see if it's of any help to you uh, but uh, you you're on notice now when do you have to be out in August oh my god that's the, the month August, after yeah. next yeah okay and where will you go? I don't know, to be honest, at this point. To be very fair, I, I don't really know. Okay. I don't really have a plan. Um, I've been told, why are you doing it so late, applying for a council house list and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's not like I applied in February and are going to be a kind of a considered for the house straight away. There is no kind of a hope for that either. So okay. I don't know where yeah. the what analogy kind of notice from another... You, what kind of notice did you get? Six months. Okay. And, and I've been working on this for a while now. Yeah. Have you been working on it for the six months? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you're getting nowhere. So you don't... I'm trying to, you yeah. know, between going to work and 
trying to keep a normal life for the kids for myself. So, so you're 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 a single parent rearing the two kids but going to work as well? Yeah. Okay. That must be exhausting. No, it's fine. Well done in that regard. You're not making a, a misery of your lot, you're just getting on with it. I'd have to get on with it. I have to think positive. I have to have that kind of an attitude until how, probably it's all going to go. How would you feel but, if you had to present homeless and go into a refuge or a shelter? I don't know, to be honest. Like, the most upsetting part would be losing my job. That's one thing. That's something that I really wanted to do. I'd never said that I didn't want to work. I had kids when they were smaller. I couldn't work. And a massive opportunity for me showed up with the COVID, with the work from home got an opportunity to actually work, working since probably the COVID up from until home? now. From home. Isn't that ideal? I, it is absolutely fantastic. I could not go any other way. It gives me the flexibility. I don't really have to pay massive money for a childcare. I don't pay for the commute. I can mind my kids. I can work. And it's absolutely fine. Oh, I'm, so sad that, I'm so sad that that perfect life for you is the, 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 the rug's been pulled out from under your feet. It's so sad. I hope that something gets resolved, but the clock is ticking. Um, it and, is, yeah. and, and unfortunately, you're not alone in that scenario. There are many others like no, you. No, and that's really scary, like, because I'm not the only person there that is in the same situation. Like, I suppose some people might come up and say, you're a foreign national. You can go back if you don't like it in here. What do you say to that's- people who say that? Well, they didn't say it, but do you know what? That's fine. I can go. I know that. I'll be the first one giving people the advice. If they don't like where they are in the situation, they can always leave it and go. I'm going to be leaving an awful lot and tearing out my kids from the life they have from the day one because they are half Irish. And if I go home, I'll have to tear them out. They have no language Mm. to go to. I know they'd adapt probably faster to what I would. And at the end of the day, I would manage. But I look at it and I say like, okay, I can do that. I can go back to my own country. Happy days. But what about other Irish people? So, like, this is why it's probably not even for me. Mm. You know, I spend majority of my life in here. Nearly 17 years in Ireland Mm. now, literally. So half of my life I've been here, kind of a grow fund of a country. It's more... I think at this stage, I think at this stage, people wouldn't have the right to tell you, having been here 17 years, to go home. This is home. But where did... what did, What country were you born in? I was born in Poland. Okay, all right. And yeah. one thing about the Polish is they work. They work and they work hard. Yeah. Well, I always said I would want to go to work. When I had the kids, I you know, always tried to find a way to go to work and work away. Um, so there was kind of a no-stopper. But, you know, it's I would say kind of like mostly generally for Irish alone, where they are going to be sent where the Irish people that are in the same so situation as me. It's not just you you're talking about, like, it's all of you know, us as well. Yeah. Well, well, listen, I'll see if I can get any clarification on the on the tenant in situ when I chat with uh, Kieran McCarthy a little later on. So stay listening, yeah. right? And uh, we'll get back to you. And if you have any we'll updates in the meantime. We'll listen anyway. I have right. to go back to my work. All right, as okay. well. we'll be back on to you if we have any no, news for you. Thanks for that. Take care okay, for now. Thank you very much for, the, for talking to me. Cheers. There was an email came in actually from a landlord. I'm writing this email to explain why so many landlords are being forced out of this business. I'm a landlord of one property and it's by chance I'm in this position. My wife and I bought a home for a family and some years later, my wife inherited her previous family home. We decided to rent one 
through the Ross scheme uh, so it may benefit our kids in the future. The plan was always to keep it rented so when the time came it could be sold and used to give the kids a deposit to help buy their homes. All we ever wanted was to be able to give the kids a better start than we got. We both work full time, never got a cent from the state ever. The current rent received is €1,023 a month for a three-bed in Fairhill. We entered the scheme eight years ago on €850 a month and we annually get 2% increases, which is now how we get 1023 Since October, the mortgage has risen by 260 a month because of interest rates. So it's now costing us a lot of money to have it. I tried speaking to Cork City Council and I'm told their hands are tied and it's the best if I sell. It would be best if I sell. I'm told over 200 houses have left both HAP and Ross schemes since January, all because Cork City Council are unable to negotiate a rent rise. I am a very fair landlord who calls regularly to cut hedges, grass and all issues regarding the property are repaired immediately. I replaced a boiler last year at a cost of €2,865 and a washing machine which cost €430. I don't want to issue my tenant and her son their notice, but we're not in a position to be supplementing this property. I strongly believe any property that entered these schemes over five years or more are currently being paid a lot less than the current value of the market and this needs to be reassessed. I'm being advised to sell, even the council is is advising me to sell, and this will be making a family homeless, which is crazy. McBarry is aware of this situation as I contacted his office last week. I can either sell or spend thousands on energy upgrades to maybe get an increase in the rent. It's driving landlords out and making people homeless because Cork City Council can't negotiate a rent increase. Hopefully you can make people aware of this issue. Please don't give up my details as my tenant isn't aware of the situation yet. Yet, uh, thanks in advance. So there you have it. That's another example of another scenario, not unlike Evelyn's in Mallow, where the landlord is selling uh, maybe there's some of the reasons why the landlord is ma- in Mallow is selling, just like the landlord in Fairhill in the city. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. I want to go back to the story of the Titan, uh, about three, 400 nautical miles south of Newfoundland at the site of the Titanic wreck. I want to talk to John. He's uh, an auditor, auditor for manned submersibles within the oil and gas industry. And joins me by phone. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Would it, would it good? Thank you. Would it be fair to say at this stage of the day, with only a few hours of oxygen left, that this um, rescue is really a last gasp effort? Well, Neil, in uh, obviously in my industry, industry, I'm doing this kind of regular auditing this kind of equipment for primarily for saturation diving operations. And our biggest hazard here in this situation is the CO2 buildup in that environment. They've been down there now since Sunday. Now this vessel I know apparently isn't what we call class approved, which means they haven't met the basic standards for um, even for the survival equipment. So what we're trying to allocate now is do they have scrubbing facilities to remove the CO2 from the um, from the environment. Well, I heard something this morning, much earlier this morning, saying that when the scrubbers a little later this morning stop working, that's when that you know more about this than me, for God's sake. That's when the CO2 will be poisonous. So would that indicate there are whatever you call these scrubbers? 
Well, I've yet to find out if they are on board and if they're actually functioning and what what capacity they have got for how long. So, if they haven't got, if they have gone on board and they've um, completed, they've extinguished all their soda store within those, the CO2 will build up in that capsule quite quickly, and this is what will affect them primarily. But prior to that happening, do they have survival equipment, i.e., survival suits for the hypothermia, for the cold down there? They're at zero to minus two degrees for four days. Can you see that? Um, that's another issue we've got with them. Oh, okay. So, so, so even at this point, since Sunday, there could be an issue with hypothermia already. Correct. I mean, we're dealing regular with them. Um, we don't lose bell because we've got a standard in place that so we can recover them and we, we know where they are all the time. But it's like issues with through water comms. Do they have a through water comms? They should not be able to lose contact with their surface mother vessel in this situation. So it's... It's what we call the old Swiss cheese in the line for the incident pits. Do they have their scrubbers? Because air, I mean, everybody's talking about oxygen. Oxygen is only injected slowly. But the primary thing is the CO2, can they extinguish that? Can they recover that and get get rid of it? Because that will put them to sleep. And on top of that, with the survival of the hypothermia, they're in a a critical position at this stage, I would say. Okay. And and do you know, I mean, this search site is about 15,000 square miles. I heard yesterday it's twice the size of the state of Connecticut. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack. But let's say even this morning, if they did manage to get one of these massive submersibles, rescue pieces of equipment to them, could they get oxygen into them? No. They'd have, see, there's another point on a diving bell. We would have a facility for a panel to be connected to the side of a diving bell the recovery of the divers but you see it comes down to this this item should not be lost this item should have transponders pinging away that they can actually locate it so this is another issue with how has it become lost without having the adequate safety equipment a simple transponder should be pinging away constantly for the next month it can work away down there so that was are we saying that that was never fitted some kind of pinging transponder for location well, this is what we need to find out. We, know, we need to know who's audited and, and authorised this vessel to put to sea with personnel because it is a manned submersible. And manned submersibles go through a thing called DNV class certification where we can trace every bit of accountability and they're regularly audited before they're used. So it's, um, it's, it's going a, a, to be a really interesting inquiry into this one because it should never have been fit for purpose. It should never have gone out with all this stuff. And they were warned as well. I believe the submersible industry sent many, many warnings uh, that it could result in problems from minor to catastrophic. One described it as a dodgy piece of technology where the actual submersible, I believe, is controlled by something you would use on your Xbox, the toggles of an Xbox. Correct. I've, I've only seen that on, on obviously online on different uh, media sections. But that even, even that alone, to me, says Heath Robinson to me straight away. The, um, it's very, I mean, we, we haven't got enough knowledge on it in our industry because we, we wouldn't be involved. We would have been condemned at the infancy because, as I've said previously, with DNV and with class certification, we are accountable from where the steel came from, where the welders came from, where the fabrication shops are they all. Oh, hang on a second. I think I've lost that line for some reason. you still there, John? I'm still here. Yeah. Sorry, still for here, some yeah. reason it just flipped out on me. But no. so if somebody... This is this is um, something that only somebody very very wealthy could afford to go down to the seabed in because I I, I believe I've heard figures of two hundred and fifty thousand maybe three hundred thousand dollars 
is a seat on the submersible, so it's not available to everybody. But wouldn't that make it a commercial venture that would need proper licensing? Correct. That's my theory on it. I mean, straight away, we're looking at the cylindrical tube here. Most submersibles are spherical because you cannot compress the spherical. And um, we're putting guys down to depths up to 1,000 feet regular globally in these vessels without incident. Okay, yes, in the infancy of the industry years ago, there were, but we've, we've got a certification and classification in place now that if something does occur, it's, it's an unplanned, unforeseen event, but it doesn't happen any longer. <clears throat> and this has only occurred because it's um, it right. was an incident, but it was going to happen. And tell me, what about the banging? Um, it, like on the on the half hour and on the hour, I'm told. Surely that banging must be if it's timed banging like that coming from the craft itself. No. If if, they, if anybody was banging, they would be banging SOS <clears throat> straight away. There's a, there's a tapping code on any dive support vessel as well. If communications are lost, and you would be using a, a regular sign, that if they were trained and competent, they would be sending a recognised signal. Like, and which would be SOS, they would be tapping. And that would be known straight away. There, I mean, you've got to look at the amount of wreckage down there on the, on the, the hulk of the Titanic alone. There's currents down there moving that wreckage. That could be the banging, Titanic itself. Yeah, yeah she's, she's tied going one way, she's clanging one way, she's tied coming the other way, she's clanging the other way. So, um, unfortunately, I think we've, um, we've got to look at it realistically and say, why the situation if you lost uh, five guys into a room, took away their management of air and then like this and say, how long would they last? And then take the temperature down to minus one, two degrees. Would they have food on board, water? Is there, a, is there even like a toilet facility? On that size of a capsule, I don't believe so, no. Okay. I mean, you're, you're not, you're, a, a class certificated vessel is not going down for there for that long time. How long were they expected to be down there? I'd say maximum eight hours. Eight hours, yeah, just maybe a working day. Yeah. Two, hour, two, hour, two hour descent, two hour ascent, and maybe two hours on the bottom, and okay. an hour for, for viewing stuff. Okay, and, and you know, it's like something in the region of maybe 12 and a half, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe 12 and a half thousand feet under the, wa- under the water, maybe three miles down. Even if now the submersible was found as we speak, and they can't get oxygen into them. How long would it take them to get them to the surface? Well, she's, the, the internal of the, um, the capsule hasn't been pressurised, so they can bring them. I mean, the ROVs, the, the work-class ROVs that are going out there at the moment regularly work at that depth. They've got manipulators that will just hang on to it, and then they'll just recover the ROV to the surface. These guys, as long as there's been no inclusion into the, the capsule, they're still at one atmosphere in that chamber. They're not like divers where we actually saturate them to work it to death because they're going to exit the, the bell yeah, and compression. Work, on the, work on location. So they actually become saturated with gas, different gases. We, we put them on helium down there. But with, the, with regards so, to Titan, how long would it take to get it up? Well, with an ROV, I mean, an ROV would recover. The, the, the ROV recovers slowly just for its own equipment uh, assurance. There's no risk of life. They would bring that one back up in, they could bring it up in an hour, realistically. Okay, okay. And I mean, what you... I, years, years and years ago, I was working on the Air India recovery here, and we were taking four hours to recover debris from six and a half thousand feet. So, Debris of the plane? So, debris of the, the aircraft, yeah. So we, we were actually working with the, the Scarab ROVs down there that time. We had two ROVs down. They were ca- attaching all the wreckage onto... Um, so you were remotely controlling them with the screen yeah. then? 
correct. We'd, we'd, we'd put a crane over the side, we'd take the, the um, tethers down to the seabed, the ROV would connect the tether, the tether to certain debris that um, Air India and Boeing were looking for, and then we'd just start the recovery, and the ROV would go off and do its own work. Did you so, move uh, in after the recovery of the bodies had finished? Correct, yeah, well, we were, we were in there that time. I'm, I'm not going to discuss there in okay. okay. We've kept quiet on all that one. Okay, so what do you think at this late stage, seven minutes to ten of a Thursday morning, with just about two hours of oxygen left, um, is this um, a rescue or a recovery? I'm, I'm still saying it's a rescue, but the likelihood, it demises now, unless they've got enough solar salt to get rid of that CO2, and the hypothermia hasn't got them, the cold hasn't got them. The cold, yeah. Yeah. Yes, if, if they've got a cylinder of O2, they can keep injecting the O2. But if they're asleep and they've sustained to hypothermia, there'd be nobody injecting O2 into that chamber. And tell me this, this may sound like a stupid question, was the only way of getting all of this equipment, this life-saving equipment that was needed, some of it is enormous, I know, and weighs tons in weight, was the only way to get it there as fast as possible by sea? Could it not have been got there by air? Not really, no. I mean, you've got to look at the logistics of overboard in an ROV. The, the generators, the power supplies, the facilities, the launch and recovery systems. The only way you'll get an ROV on site is with, the, with its own mothercraft vessel. I mean, most most of these vessels are working on um, oil and gas, or they're working on transit. Okay, cable. there are two there are two links to it really. The one is the main yeah. vessel, and the other is the ROV. And do you, do you were you a very young diver just finally then? Back in the 70s, I was talking there earlier on uh, of the uh, cable laying incident off Cork. Correct, yeah, I remember that one. I was an infant then down in West Cork. I was a, I was a baby diver with, working under the bridges in Cork when they were being built. But no, I remember that one. But then again, you've got to look at it in this, this day, even then, then days. That item they were using was called a new suit, which was developed through the industry and through pacification. Yeah. And they yeah. did survive because what failed took them and they, they basically they had malfunctioned some of their equipment through a leak. But the guys did have their survival suits on, in that. I mean, the new suit is tiny. It's just like a wasp with two hand manipulators. It's an inspection item. But they survived because they had the equipment and the redundancies and the support. And they were over 80 hours um, in the yeah. ocean, in the sea, uh, in the ocean, um, in the dark and in the cold. And they were rescued. So Yeah, but you've got to look at those guys. I think it was a single guy. He was a single guy in the new suit. He went onto his respiratory system, so he was able to go onto his breathing apparatus. He was able to go onto his scrubber, and you got to remember he was at one atmosphere again. He wasn't um, as in a diving situation where he had to decompress. So once they once they found a new suit, I mean, I think they brought in a submersible to find another new suit to go and find him. It was just a base of he sank, he flooded, and his, his equipment said, oh, I, "I can't get back." Well, I'm referencing Roger Mallinson, who was uh, accompanied at the time by a fellow by the name of Roger Chapman. They were 1973, um, and for some reason, when they were finished their work and were coming back up, they were laying cables, telephone cables on the seabed. Somebody attached the the cable to winch them up to the hatch of the top of the sub and pulled the hatch off, um, and it ploughed in a matter of 30 seconds to the bottom of the sea again. Apparently, Mallinson, who's 85 now, said the only reason that they survived is he happened to have stolen an extra bottle of oxygen before they went down. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, I, I mean, I'd have to read that one again, look into it, because it doesn't make sense. There must have been um, 
He, he would, he would have had to, I'll have to look at that one because. Oh no! I mean, just I, I'm going to play some of his audio a little later. What I'm saying is that where there's hope, uh, there's life. I suppose you know. Oh God, yes, that's, I'm, I am definitely hoping for this one. But it's just that them two critical factors, and I reverted back to yourselves with them from the, the chat previous regarding the Tom Hanks movie, the Apollo. What was their most critical problem when they were struggling to survive up there? It was their CO2 build-up in the capsule, and they heat obviously matched up something to get the CO2 scrubbers working again. Okay, oxygen and the cold then. Oxygen and no, the cold. The CO2, CO2 and the cold. Okay, gotcha. The CO2 carbon, which moves in when the oxygen moves poisoning. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that carbon monoxide poisoning then? Carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide. Well done. Listen, um, I may well come back to you if there's any updates, John. But thank you so much no, for no, now I'm, and your expertise I'm is very much. Valid. Valid, so I'm hoping to get them back. But the, I mean, the recovery vessels and I think one of Technique's big diving vessels is moving into location as well. Obviously, they won't be using the diving, but they will be using their ROVs. Okay, hopefully not too late. Thank you, John. Appreciate you taking the call. Thanks for your expertise. Text 0868104106. Lads, we're back after 10. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And talking about summertime, we have more passes to give away again today. These are annual passes for Photo Wildlife Park for you and the family. It's a fabulous prize every day for Photo. And tomorrow, a VIP private tour and a two-night overnight stay in the four-star Oriel House Hotel with dinner on one night for a family of two adults and up to three children, plus a picnic to enjoy. In fact, you could use the picnic and head off to Photo Wildlife Park with it. Now, Photo are celebrating 40 years of conservation, open to the public 40 years uh, this summer. And this weekend, there's a carnival celebration uh, tomorrow. Saturday and indeed Sunday. So I'll be telling you more about that tomorrow when we talk with the good people from Photo Wildlife Park. But for today, it's yet another conservation annual passes to give away two of them for you and whomever you choose to bring with you. And you can go down as often as you want right across the year. So again, you're listening out for the film and the character and they are animal related. Uh, This is the film and the character that I need you to identify, right? So have a listen to this for now. What do you know? Oh, this is going to be fun. We can stay up late, swapping manly stories, and in the morning, I'm making waffles. I know that one. Thank God for a change. I know that one. So that's the piece of audio. I need to know the movie and the animal character. Uh, and when you hear this cuter call, that's when you pick up the phone to ring. Have a listen to the cuter call. <laughs> Don't ask me what they are. Don't ask me what they are. So you hear that again. Uh, pick up the phone 0818104106. I want to very quickly go to uh, UCC. Paul Byrne is there, Southern correspondent with Virgin Media News. There was a bit of a ruckus there. Apparently, Michal Martin um, was uh, speaking, something to do with Ireland's neutrality. That's what the conference is all about uh, as to whether I guess we're going to be part of NATO or not. Paul, can you hear me all right? Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm just trying to locate the audio here because I know you did send some. Well, just run that audio or do you want to talk it in? Tell me what happened. Neil, if I can tell you what happened because I've got to get back into this forum that just uh, popped out to, to Thank take you. the call. Basically, um, here at UCC is the first of four days where members of the public as well as um, security and military experts from across the globe as well as politicians are really debating 
the challenges that Ireland is facing going forward when it comes to challenges in security and threats from other countries. And, you know, some are saying we're going to sign to NATO, others are saying that won't happen. But once Micheál Martin took to the podium this morning, uh, members of the public who registered to take part in the forum heckled him from the very beginning. Here is a man who attended UCC for many years and was an accomplished debater, but as soon as he took to that podium, they settled him one by one. They shouted him down and Michal Martin really um, lost the the fight, I suppose, when it came to trying to deliver his speech. He said uh, the most undemocratic thing one could do is to shut down debate and he said that's exactly what these people were doing this morning. They shouted the likes of, uh, shame on you, you're a traitor. Um, It continued I think really for 10 to 20 minutes, you know, one by one speakers took to the podium after me Hall Martin and they continued to try to say point of order, point of order. They raised banners, they raised flags, the guards and the security personnel eventually were left with no option but to remove them from the lecture hall here in UCC. Um, Nobody arrested, names and addresses were taken. You had um, a considerable amount of protesters outside the gates of UCC this morning, maybe 50 to 60, uh, voicing their concern. but I suppose it, um, it shows that, you know, there is a lot of opposition to the forum, which will be taking place over the next four days. Were, were these organised groups, do you know, or individuals off their own bat? There was a lot of people who you would see at protests um, on a regular basis. You had um, um, Ted Tynan who's an elected council representative, local authority, Lorna Bogue. You had Dermot O'Kyla, who is uh, well known for taking part in protests around the city. Um, others were there um, saying, you know, with T-shirts, no to NATO. Um, you know, so as I said, some familiar faces, some I didn't recognise. Um, one described the, the group as the rent crowd the usual posse. But look, it is their right to protest, and they did that this morning. But um, I, I suppose, again, it goes to show that this forum is a controversial forum and that, you know, there is a lot of opposition to okay. what's going on. Okay. Do, um, do you know, did, did Micheál Martin abandon his effort to complete no, his he speech? Didn't, he didn't. He continued, but, I, 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 um, you know, he... He was shouted down as he continued to do so. Um, Did he say anything to those that were shouting him down? Well, as I said, yeah, he did say that the most undemocratic thing one can do is to shut down debate. Right. He said that's what you're trying to do. Right. He didn't look comfortable. You know, he's a man who's used to standing up there and addressing large crowds, but he certainly didn't look comfortable, and he was under pressure. Um, you know, there, wa- there was a lot of roaring, there was a lot of shouting. Yeah. Uh, he's used to that, but definitely today, I think uh, here in his hometown, at such a, uh, a debate, and which is gaining international coverage, it didn't look good okay. for, for the tarnished okay. by any means. Okay, you know? uh, I'm going to run that audio. So it's it's. This I'm, be... just, I'm going back in. Neil, can I just give you some story that's breaking that I've just received information? Yeah. Uh, you spoke to June, the taxi driver who was uh, attacked there a number of weeks ago. Uh, you remember that? You spoke to the the driver the other morning that's along right. with Bobby Lynn. That's right. Um, a man was arrested earlier this morning. 
in relation to the attack on the taxi driver. Um, he was taken to a guard station in the city centre and he's due to appear in court later this morning. Good stuff. Thanks for the update on that one. Let's watch and see what happens there. Paul Byrne, Southern Correspondent with Virgin Media News. So we'll return to that taxi store if there's a, an update and I'll recap again on actually what happened to the taxi driver for you a little later on this morning. But this is some audio from UCC this morning. I've seen the video footage and part of the video footage that have been shown is, is an individual who's standing up and, and clearly um, um, you know, protesting um, and saying something with regards to how he feels about NATO and all of these kind of things. But there's a member from Garda Shigana who is trying to and eventually manages to move him out of his seat, take him across the row of seats and up the stairwell and I guess out of the auditorium. Uh, that's the video footage I saw. This is possibly the audio that matches that. Countries all over Europe. They will put it to the people in the vote. They are afraid of what they will see. 15% of people in a recent poll have said that they would support joining NATO. You're a disgrace. Shame on you. Shame on you. Okay, that's just a 30 second clip of it, but apparently there was lots of interjection or I suppose interruption. Dominic, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, you're with the Cork Neutrality League. It's self-explanatory. Correct. You want Ireland to stay neutral. Were you? Are you at UCC? I am, and I was one of those people who um, addressed Neil Martin this morning when he took to the podium. Okay, well, addressed him or continue to interrupt him? Well, in fact, it was highly irregular because the forum is to be chaired, we were told, by Dame Louise Richardson, but she didn't take to the platform. Instead, Neil Martin was introduced by the president of the college. So that opened the session. At that point, I rose to raise a point of order about the imbalance of speakers at the forum. My point of order was simply, will you redress the imbalance in speakers to ensure a fair and balanced debate at every session of the forum? And when I raised this point of order, Michal Martin himself ruled that there would be no points of order. Well, of course, he didn't have the authority. He wasn't chairing the session. That was the role of Dame Louise Richardson. I did actually turn to Dame Louise Richardson with my point of order, but she ignored me. Okay, so whoever was on the panel, did, did anybody on that panel represent people like yourself and others who do want to protect Ireland's neutrality? No, there no. are 11... No, not on that panel. There are 11 um, pro-neutrality groups who come together in a coalition to protest against this forum and only one of them has had an invitation, the Peace and Neutrality Alliance. Just one invitation was issued. Uh, here we are in Cork and yet the Cork Neutrality League of which Michal Martin is very well aware was not invited to address the forum and as I say only one of 11 pro-neutrality groups in the country is going to be represented at the forum. This forum is stacked 5 to 1 in favour of people who okay. support NATO and in favour of basically okay. ditching our neutrality. I get, I get where you're coming from. I'm quite touchy-feely about our neutrality myself. However, <laughs> I have to ask you whether shouting somebody down continuously, almost in a pre-organised manner with many people doing it, is not the proper way to conduct business. Well, uh, first of all, I mean, you talk about conducting business, and of course, um, meetings like this are, um, should be conducted according to protocols and standing orders and so on. It's very well established practice for people at meetings to raise points of order. Of course, you have to be granted permission to make your point of order, but the chair simply wouldn't rule on it. And me, old Martin thought it was his own 
authority to rule against a point of order. So I persisted. I mean, understandably, I persisted because this was highly irregular. But I think it should also be said that the um, protesters who unfurled a banner and read a speech against uh, uh, American uh, foreign interventions across the globe over decades, yeah. members of the Connolly Youth Movement who were escorted uh, by the Gardaí. Someone made a very interesting comment about them, which is that if there was to be an EU army, they, at that forum today, were the only people who would be of age to be conscripted. Yes, to it. and they, they don't want to be conscripted into a European army. Good point. However, however, they were described, apparently, by some people there as rent-a-crowd. I heard that comment. It's the kind of thing I guess that they say in Russia, because um, your correspondent basically was trying to identify people that he thought he may have seen at other protests. Well, that's the kind of thing that the secret police normally do in order to identify people, I guess, you know, in order to bring the, um, you know, the weight of the law against them at some point. I mean, that, that's really a kind okay. of a sinister observation to make. Well, he wasn't making it. He said that's what he was told by others who were there, that they recognise many of those who've been to many different rallies for different things in the oh, past. Um, so the gentleman, the, the gentleman in the video that was removed by the guard, is he a member of Cork Neutrality League? No, no members of the Cork Neutrality League were arrested. He, I believe, was a member of the Connolly Youth Movement. Okay. I don't know, was he arrested or just escorted out? Hard to tell. Yeah. So is it, ongo- is it, ongoing, is it ongoing right now? Are you going back in? Uh, well, I'm going to try, and others are going to try and raise points of order later during the day. Look, we, we drew up very, very short, brief points of order that obviously express our dissatisfaction about the composition of the forum and you know, the, the, the sheer purpose of the forum. And very brief, um, the chair we, we can, can decide whether or not she wants to even accept a point of order. If she was to say no, then we would have to abide by that. If she was to say yes, but then we'd make them very briefly. But instead, as I say... You'd have made your point and, and then stayed quiet, is it? Yes, absolutely. We, uh, you know, people okay. have suggested that we've been anti-democratic. In fact, we wanted to respect the democracy of the forum. That's why we just wanted to make our points of order. We felt that they were legitimate. We really, I mean, a lot of people, including the president, have questioned uh, the makeup of this forum and have suggested that it is stacked, that its purpose is to get rid of the triple lock, to get rid of neutrality, to recommend... Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? Uh, the, 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 uh, well, first of all, the president has suggested that, that there's a drift oh, away from... Oh, oh that's right. You're talking about our own president. Yeah, this forum is part of that... Um, yeah, exactly. This, yeah, I know. Sometimes forget that this forum is part of that process. So that's what we wanted to challenge, respectfully, through points of order, and we just weren't given the opportunity to do so. Okay. By okay. the Tornister, amazingly, incredibly, and as I said, utterly irregularly. Let's see if anything happens across the, the morning. Thank you for that for now, Dominic Carroll of the Cork Neutrality League at UCC, where at least one protester was escorted off the campus. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 Red FM. Uh, back to um, the uh, protest at UCC this morning. There were many speakers there, amongst them the tarnished uh, Micheál Martin, uh, which a while ago there with Dominic Carroll, one of the chaps who was escorted out of that uh, forum this morning is Rorick, who joins me by phone from the Connolly Youth Movement. Rorick, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good. Uh, what happened? Um, a lot, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so we went in there, we got our, our tickets and our lanyards or whatever, we sat down, and as Miguel Merton went up to speak, few people interrupted, we unveiled our banner and one of our members gave a speech outlining our position on neutrality and on NATO. Um, 
and we were then asked to leave multiple times and finally escorted out by the guards. Okay, well, I saw some video footage of one individual. Was that a member of your group? Um, you have to describe them to me. Um, he he may well have been, it possibly was uh, Tomas from the Connolly Youth Movement, you know, was that, uh, hang on, I might have him here. Tomas, good morning, was that you? Uh, well, it was one of the people dragged out. How are you, Neil? Oh, good, good, man, good. So, um, uh, you were kind of dragged out, weren't you? You weren't going willingly. My my one wasn't so bad. He kind of pulled me to the side and let me walk away. But um, my the other people who were with us, um, Morgan was quite physically dragged. Is that out. the guy the with the beard and the hair tied up? Yeah, he was the one speaking. He was he was quite roughly pulled out. Okay. Same with Mark, who was kept holding the banner. But on I the way suppose out. if he wasn't going to go willingly, um, they probably would have to kind of help him, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, at the same time, it was an entirely peaceful protest while we were doing inside there. We weren't causing any uh, violence or anything to anyone. I know, there's never, that was never an issue, but it was, they're, yeah. they're saying the repeated interruptions that nobody actually could get anything done because of it. Well, I mean, ultimately, um, our position on it is the whole thing is a sham. The, the the panel is stacked yeah. with people who are pro-NATO, pro-militarization. I, 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 de- I dealt so, with that with Dominic, so I don't mean yeah. to, to interrupt you, but oh, rather no, than fine. just so, repeating. But, but when, yeah. when you're... Rory, can you still hear me? I can, yeah. Were, were you... When you were taken out, and Tomas, when you were taken out, were you just told to go away, or were you cautioned or arrested? Well, they, they took our details, and they said if we, if we came back again or we did anything similar, then we'd be... Uh, arrested and face uh, jail time or a Class A fine. Um, but, you know, we had done our protest, so we had no intention of going back in again. Right, so, okay. And were you told the same, Tomas? Yeah, we, we were all told the same inside there. Yeah. yeah, okay. Your details were taken as in what? Name, address, things like that? Yeah. Okay. Name, address, date of birth. Okay. It's not very democratic, though, in spite of the fact that you would have passionate views against NATO. It's not very democratic to be constantly interrupting people who are trying to make a point, though, as they're shouting shame on you and traitor at people. Traitor is a very strong word. See, the thing is, Neil, when they've already manufactured all of this, this isn't a democratic form. What they're doing is trying to manufacture a public uh, opinion in favour of their strategy. If it was a real democratic forum, then they would have had representative voices. So in our view, the correct thing to do there wasn't to try to normally engage in something that's not a normal forum, but rather try to point out by whatever means uh, we can yeah. that the whole thing is a, is a sham. Yeah. The vast majority of people, though, I would imagine, are dead against going into NATO, are they not? That's what I would say absolutely. The, the for- what did you say, Rurik? Sorry, that's what... Uh, Every poll that's been conducted by Irish Times or whatever uh, other newspaper saying nearly 60% or above of people okay. are in favour of there be, uh, remaining neutral. Yeah. Would there be a referendum on it, though? Um, I don't think there would. No, somebody's line is very bad. Is that a bad line tomorrow? Did you say there would be or there wouldn't be? Well, the government doesn't want that because they know that it would go against them. And it would just reinstate the fact that we want to be neutral. But they're going about it in much more nefarious ways, like doing these consultative forms, rather than doing it through the established democratic mechanisms of doing it. Of what? A referendum? Of a referendum. Yeah. Or a citizens' assembly. Yeah. Why not a citizens' assembly? Okay. Okay. Um, I don't know if any other countries are actually threatening Ireland, though. They talk about the threat to our security. Uh, what could that potentially be, I wonder? 
I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know who they could be talking about there. And to be honest, it doesn't matter because they'll, for them, the people that are trying to increase our militarization, increase the amount of money that we're spending on guns uh, and weaponry, it doesn't matter who the threat is. All they want is that there is a threat so that they have a justification to make more guns. And, and inter- buy interestingly, the age profile of those that possibly would be in uh, an Irish-involved NATO army would be the likes of you, Tomás, you, Rurik, and other members of your organisation, right? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's not going to be the people inside there that are proposing this increased militarisation that'll be going out and fighting these potential wars that they're going on about. It's going to be the young people that are doing it. And the young people, the majority, the overwhelming majority of young people have no interest. And tell me this, how do you either, either of you feel about being called rent-a-crowd? Uh, I know the Connolly Youth Movement have attended other uh, protests in the past. I think the last time we spoke was about Brewdog, which is now gone. Uh, you were at Raise the Roof, um, many different housing and homeless protests. How do you feel about that? Well, it's kind of a ridiculous idea. Like, you know, we're, we're there because, you know, we care about the political situation in Ireland and we feel that like in order to get our voice heard we need to actually take action as opposed to just let everything go by um, so we're, we're not doing this out of any ulterior motive we're doing this because we genuinely believe in our principles and our values yeah okay okay Rorik has the interruptions now and the heckling stopped um, I'm no longer at the event, but to my knowledge, there were some people who went after us and were also escorted out. But I oh. think the the day is still proceeding as maybe a bit behind schedule, but it's still a. With still all of the with all of the plan. protesters now removed, is it? Um, I think most people have left. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you, guys. Not the greatest phone lines in the world, but obliged to both you, Rorick and Tom and Tomas from the Connolly Youth Movement. Movement. I mean, if you want to discuss Ireland's neutrality, guys, I'm happy to do that as well. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. But you talk about, you know, you talk about freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And I spoke about it really, maybe in rather extreme terms yesterday. I was telling you the story in the UK about the student who is now identifying as a cat. Uh, I was telling you about the inter- the conversation between the teacher and a student. I probably didn't explain it. Um, you probably know about it now, having followed the story perhaps yourself. But there was a number of students in this secondary school classroom who were debating um, the uh, ridiculousness of, say, for instance, uh, a student wanting to be addressed and identifying uh, as a cat. Uh, and that story reminded me of another one then where you, know, you talk about the whole trans movement, which is a different thing entirely to identifying, I believe, as a cat or a dog or a horse or a dinosaur. But I see that Elon Musk tweeted there yesterday uh, with regards to, well, here's the tweet, repeated targeted harassment against any account will cause the harassing accounts to receive at minimum temporary suspensions on Twitter, he says. Using the words cis or cisgender are considered slurs on this platform, he says. So that's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes um, people who would be cisgender, as in male or female, and have an opinion, are repeatedly targeted and harassed by others. And Elon Musk is certainly saying, from a, uh, from a Twitter point of view, 
that will no longer be tolerated. Uh, text 0868104106 back after the break. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Talk continues to tick with regards to the amount of oxygen still available on Titan in the Atlantic. Uh, some texts on that. I don't have too much sympathy, Neil, for those on board. There has been more PR about this and nothing about the 700 migrants in the Mediterranean last Tuesday week. Yes, they were trying to get from Libya to Italy and, of course, capsized uh, off the Greek coast. We don't know how many of those misfortunate migrants died, but many hundreds of them, many of them children. Sad as it is, it was five wealthy people paying a million euro each to see the Titanic. I was listening to Channel 4 last night and daily there are refugees washing up on shores. The EU is offering Tunisia millions of euro to stop the refugees entering EU water. Why the hell can't someone get to these countries and sort out the human rights and stop that daily massacre? And one other one from Paddy, he says, I wouldn't have much hope of the sub being located. Think about it. Look how long it took to locate the Titanic wreck itself. And that's 80 times bigger, at least, than a small little sub in the Atlantic, says Paddy. Well, Frank Owen is a retired submarine commander in the Royal Australian Navy, and he joins me from Australia this morning. Frank, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking the call. Um, What are your thoughts at this stage with the clock ticking? Uh, Irish time is about two and a half hours before they say oxygen will finally be depleted. Well, the good thing is that... Maybe even like less than that, possibly even le- even an hour and a half, but sorry for interrupting, go ahead. It, it could be, yeah, not at all. It, but it, it's the good thing to remember is this is not like a parking meter where at the at the hour it will click off. Um, if they are managing their, their life support um, and their uh, breathing and uh, exertion properly, they, that could well be extended by 10, 12 hours. The um, on board this submarine is um, the, this French diver, uh, Jean Henri, and I can't remember his surname. I know him. But, he's, uh, been, he's dived on yeah. it before. Yes, yeah. yeah, he has, and he, he is the content expert. But he's also he would really intuitively understand how to manage um, the oxygen consumption and the CO two production better than almost anybody. And the, the fact that he is. He's there is also, I think, inspiring them to say, do the banging on the hour and the half hour for three minutes, but not all the time, because that's the protocol that's used by submariners if they're stuck in a sunken submarine. But you know how they're picking that audio up on buoys and then that's being transmitted to the airplane and the airplane is sending it then to to land. Why aren't they identifying that as an SOS call? Uh, well, it, it, in a way, it is an SOS call, but um, what these boys can do is provide bearings. That's all they can do is provide a bearing of the noise. The noise itself is quite is going to be quite muffled and diffuse because they're banging on the, the side of a carbon fibre hull that is about five inches in the old terms, about 100, 120 millimetres thick. Uh, it's not like banging on steel, which will have a nice bell sort of ring to it. Um, the, so the, the, they're making a thud noise rather than a, a, a clear cling, if you like. Yeah. And that's therefore difficult to, all they can do is get a bearing. And it's only there for half, for three minutes every half hour, um, which is useful in that you can then position some other sonar boys around it and get multiple bearings. Um, and there you can say, ah, that's where we think it is. What that's not telling you is whereabouts it is. Is it at the surface or near the surface? 
or is it sitting on the bottom? Where do you believe? You, because um, you were quoted as saying you don't believe it's on the bottom, do you? I don't believe it's on the bottom because the way sound moves or is um, transmitted through the water, it gets hugely affected by the layer. This is the, the fact that temperature from the surface stays pretty much constant to down to about 200 metres and then it drops quite rapidly to about 2 or 3 degrees and it stays at, at, at temperature all the way to the bottom. What it does to noise is that noise that's coming up from the bottom will then be deflected down. It'll hit this layer and it'll almost be reflected off it. So it's very difficult for noise from the bottom to be heard near the surface. And the hydrophones in these, in these sonoboys are near the surface. So my um, conclusion from that is that the submarine is probably in the same water column as the hydrophones and therefore they're hearing it. Now, it's where it's, uh, it, it's not going to float on the surface like a boat. It's going to be really difficult to find. It hasn't got radar reflectors. It doesn't have any strobe lights or uh, radio beacons on the top of it. Um, so they would just hope to find it by day. So what um, is it doing in the water if it doesn't have a pinging system, a rudimentary, simple pinging system sending off pings of its location? Yes, that's an extremely good question. Thank you for that. <laughs> I haven't got... They, these are all the sort of questions that are being asked by the very people who are, who are also questioning the, the uh, concept behind the design of this submersible. Yes, and the warnings that the designers of it got from those in the industry who said that this was a suicide mission, that this could result in problems from minor to catastrophic. I was talking with some experts earlier today and indeed yesterday and they were saying, yes carbon dioxide will be a problem, lack of oxygen will be but they could already have succumbed to hypothermia. Your thoughts on that? Yep. Well, that's, that's entirely possible. If, if it is that the power failed early on, which is why the communications failed then they would they would have got very cold, but if they're near the surface, that at least their their temperature is going to be, you know, more like ten or twelve degrees than um, the two or three degrees down at the bottom. You've also got five, we call them one sometimes in a in a jesty jesting sort of way we call them five one kilowatt body heaters body generators. Yeah. So each person actually generates their own heat. And this is why sometimes in uh, icy conditions, people huddling together can, by body warmth, can kids can survive each other. Um, so yes, they they are very likely not to have power, um, which is why they can't communicate. Um, their life support system, I believe, does not rely on power. Um, it relies on on bottled gas for the oxygen and um, lung powered. Um, filters that are, there's a mask and you rebreathe re your own air or you filter the um, output of your air so that you're actually um, okay. removing the carbon dioxide that yeah. way. Okay, so staying still, not moving around too much, not exerting too much energy means mm. that the oxygen lasts longer. But how, I mean, you're the expert in this, you know, submarine search and rescue is your thing. How would they be reacting to this psychologically? What if, if panic broke out? Well, that that is um, that is the, always the, the risk, and and you've got to rem remember, I guess, that um, the panic might be 
Not so much amongst Harding because he's an explorer. He's the one who goes to Everest. He goes up, you know, up into orbit. He, he's an explorer. He's an adventurer. And so is the Pakistani, um, and British. He's British Pakistani, but he's also um, he has, is an adventurer himself. So those two guys are unlikely to panic. The youngest, the son Suleiman, he's. I don't know, but he but he may well have inherited some of his father's behaviour. He's 19 years the, old in this version. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, sometimes lack of panic generates calm. So if there's if the rest of them are calm, then they and they say, well, this is the way we are going to have to manage this, then they'll do that. Mm. Uh, 96 air hours of oxygen is just an indicator, I believe you're saying, under ideal yes. conditions and behaviour. It could mm. be somewhat longer than that. Um, have you successfully um, been involved in submarine search and rescue uh, where literally craft were recovered in the past? Well, I've, I've been on the, on the fringes of it. Um, my, my real ex, um, engagement with it was designing this new system or uh, or managing the project and accepting the design that um, ultimately became the uh, basis for the new U.S. Navy system. Uh. Um, and I've been involved. I was heavily engaged with the Russians during the Kursk incident. Um, I was engaged with them. Uh, well, perhaps perhaps a bit more on the freak, on the uh, edges when the um, Russian submersible, the Priz, got caught in cables in 2005. But fortunately, real submarine emergencies are very rare. And that's because the systems get designed with a whole bunch of safety systems, safety features in there, and they get designed by rules. And those rules are set by these 50-year-old white males, often the very people that um, are um, scoffed at by the um, owner of Ocean Gate. Yes, because one of the worries is that uh, the technology in it is quite basic and I don't mean to belittle it too much, but somebody suggested it was being steered with something the equivalent that you would use as a as the handheld equipment for an Xbox. Yeah, yeah that's, and that's true. There, there's nothing particularly wrong with that. Okay, um, okay. The more you can simplify controls, that's easy. It's the more than managing the whole, in, whole space and the whole environment that's more important. So just finally, in your, in your own case as a retired submarine commander, that means you would have been in charge of submarines and done fairly long stints of duty underwater. Is that right? No, that's right. My longest period was six and a half weeks underwater, which was um, yeah, fairly, um, fairly testing, mm. I guess you could say. Mm. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. Okay, so um, are they still hearing banging? Do, do we even know if there's been any banging this morning? Do you know? I don't know, but the, the reports I hear is that it's, they're, they're continuing. So I can only assume that they're still continuing with their rhythm of uh, banging every half hour. Um, and that, that has to give you hope because um, it's almost impossible for some random noise in the ocean. And the, the ocean is full of noise, but, but, it, but for that random noise to repeat at half hourly intervals that's the difference is, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. To have to, for it to happen once is interesting for it to happen three or four or five times is, not a, is much more than a coincidence okay okay let's see what the coming hours bring they say it's a search area that's twice the size of the state of Connecticut which is an amazing amount of um, seawater to have to fall into to try and find a, a small little submersible in isn't it 
It is indeed. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a needle in a haystack. Okay, okay. Thank you so much, Frank. Thanks for taking the call. Appreciate it. Frank Owen, retired submarine commander of the Royal Australian Navy, based in Canberra. Uh, text 0868104106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Protests at UCC regarding Ireland's neutrality. An interesting text here says, don't you know that shouting is the only way these politicians will, believe me, listen you have to shout. Um, believe me, if we join NATO, our grandsons will be used as cannon fodder in wars that have nothing to do with us. Martin and Varadkar must be getting huge jobs in Europe down the road. If we become part of NATO, of course, we become part of a contingent contingency um, army that would be part of a NATO uh, army and we would have Irish people in that army as well. So there's a lot of other texts on that which we'll come back to. Just um, Can I just say, I've been talking over the last couple of days about 1973 um, and this submersible that was off the Irish coast I was telling you about the chaps that were on it, there was two of them, one was Roger Chapman, he was 28 and the other was a fellow called Roger Mallison who was 35. They were laying telephone communication cables across the Atlantic and they had many successful descents in their in their submersible but one particular one resulted in them being trapped in it at the bottom of the Atlantic for 84 hours. Apparently they had just 12 minutes of air left um, I think the thing was when they were coming back up after the successful task of laying cable for that day somebody who was pulling them back up uh, near the surface attached a cable to the wrong part of the submersible and pulled off the hatch but anyway, Roger Mallison is the only surviving member of the rescue off the Cork coast in 1973 and he was speaking about when, when, what went wrong when they finished the job replacing ocean cables and he was talking to he was on the Sky News, actually. Uh, particularly, he starts the bits of the conversation they're running for you. He references one commanding officer. They took a locking bar off, which was promised back in 42 days we'd asked on the day we went out to Cork. And when we got to Cork, we still had no locking bar. And you couldn't hold the hatch on without it. We finished that day's work and we came up at the end of the day uh, well, it was the end of the night. We were coming up early in the morning for breakfast and a good night's sleep. And we got up on the surface and the, uh, we heard the diver get on uh, and the diver was to put the tow line on to tow us back onto the back of the mothership. And suddenly the back of the sub dipped down and then we got water alarm screaming and we were totally flooded. The diver, instead of the diver connecting the tow line to the hatch, to the sub, he connected it to the hatch and pulled the hatch off and and would never admit it afterwards, but that's what happened. He pulled the hatch off and then uh, we took two and a half tonne of water on and went down under the ship now remember we have 90 foot seas going and so by the time we went down onto the end of the tow line we were two and a half ton heavy at the stern and suddenly the, the uh, tow line went tight and the back of the sub was pulled upwards and we were facing down now and then the ship dropped and we, would, we fell down at the back and it went like this for three minutes well, it wasn't going to last very long before the rope would break and it suddenly went off like a cannon going off and the hatch 
flew back across onto the ship and we crashed to the seabed in, in 26 seconds. It took 84 hours to rescue us and luckily, before we started the dive, I stole a bottle of oxygen and because we stole it, it, I'm still here. Otherwise, we certainly wouldn't have been here. Amazing, isn't it? And we tell our children not to steal, and probably rightly so. He wouldn't be having that conversation if he didn't take, or he says, stole the extra bottle of oxygen, 84 hours on the seabed. I think I was reading some interviews with him recently when he was asked a question like, how did you manage to survive? Okay, you had the oxygen and all of that, but only 12 minutes of the line. He says, we looked after each other. We looked after each other. An incredible story. Uh, lots of texts and different topics from already this morning, including Evelyn, who is soon to be homeless, single mother, two children, working away. Uh, there has to be a father. Is he not contributing? That seems to be a standard response to every single time I speak with a, a single parent, but fair enough, if that's your thoughts. Uh, there has to be a father. Is he contributing? If not, why not? I'm sick to my dim back teeth of listening to these single mothers struggling on your show, and the fathers get away scot in this day and age, it would be very easy to put an attachment on a person's wage, no matter where they are in the world. Well, I understand that because you're really having a, a go, if you like, for want of a better term, on, on, on what we call deadbeat dads. I don't know what the situation is in this case, but I think that's a fair thing to say, that there should be no deadbeat dads. Isn't, it, isn't that amazing that there's no pressure zones for rates like there is for rent? Um, if a business is struggling to pay rates, revenue closes them down and they won't be able to get a cent to open up another business. And the government will swallow up uh, the building. Um, and I mean, one of the issues, of course, involving uh, businesses that are trying to survive are a lot of the ancillary costs. Uh, forget about it with regards to the council buying the house. The council always offers €30,000 less than the asking price. So it's a waste of time. People won't sell to councils. Uh, clearly, this woman is working, minding the kids and paying rent. I just wonder what help she gets from the kid's father. I don't know. Um, it uh, wasn't a question that came up in the conversation I had with her. A final one, would I be correct in saying that foreigners are coming on the air with you complaining about other foreigners getting Irish houses while 12,000 Irish people are homeless? Are people living in cuckoo land? Can they not see what's going on? If an Irish person did that in Eastern Europe, they'd be laughed out of their country or indeed Ukraine, for that matter. And then there's a lot, because I was telling you we're the most expensive country in the EU now for goods and services. Here's a typical example of that. On the topic of hotels ripping people off, as you were saying, what about the pubs around Musgrave Park? One pub in particular was charging €7 for a pint in a plastic cup while the concerts were on at Musgrave Park. It is nothing more than total greed. Surely this can't be allowed. Do come back to me and tell me the name of the pub and I can ask them why they justify seven euro for a pint in a plastic cup. Text 0868104106. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. The Neil Prenderville Show. Red FM. Long story short, I'm in Ballancolic 12 years in the same house and now my landlord is selling the property. My partner left in 2020. I'm a single mom of three, two younger children with special needs. I went to city council a couple of weeks ago and I was told to come back to them in at least eight years as I'm only three years on the housing list. Two weeks before Christmas I have to leave. Where do I go? I don't know. I understand I won't get any house now. A girl from Poland at least can go back home and I can go back home too. But what is the irony? 
I'm from Ukraine and the government can accommodate tens of thousands of Ukrainians ahead of me. Hasn't everybody got their own exclusively personal story, don't they? They really and truly do. Seriously, lads, uh, with regards to the missing Titan submersible, they paid 250000 to visit a grave of hundreds of souls, thousands. The media obsessing this is sickening. 700 refugees drowned off the Greek coast. They were pushed back out to sea by the Greek Navy. There's very little being said about them, yet five wealthy white men choose to do this, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. I don't know why you're going in with regards to the colour of their skin. Incidentally, I don't believe they were all white either. It is ironic that the Titanic continues to claim lives with people prepared to risk their own lives for a sunken wreck. The best thing they can do with the Titanic is either bring it to the surface and put it on display or blow it up. Interestingly, Titanic is very slowly but surely crumbling and falling apart and breaking. It's down there like well over 110 years now. Uh, you couldn't bring it up. Um, it just would not be possible. Too fragile. It would just break apart. Um, blow it up? No. I mean, you could call it a no ex- an exclusion zone where nobody would be ever allowed to go near it again. How you would police that, I don't know. Um, But with regards to blowing it up, no. I mean, it is actually a very important site uh, for those that lost their lives there and their families. It's a memorial, if you like. It's a graveyard. Um, With regards to Micheál Martin being heckled, I'm delighted. He's the traitor. He sold us out. Uh, What happened to Micheál Martin at UCC is regrettable, but Martin and his government regularly steamroll legislation to the doll with little or no debate anyway. Um, Shouting is the only way these politicians will listen. Another one. Why doesn't the government have a vote? It is bad enough that we're owned by the EU besides joining NATO. We've been a neutral country for so long we should stay that way Um, first hate speech now joining NATO interestingly enough Declan Power well known for his views on Micheál Martin is looking for a good job in Europe do the Irish people want to join NATO it would be interesting to ask them name the people on the committee to see how one side of the committee really is oh spare me the bleeding heart they said themselves that they were repeatedly asked to leave the protesters and when they refused to go to right they were escorted out they're gobshites of the highest order, says Mags. This is with regarding the protesters. The government is just itching for Ireland to join NATO and then we'll have British bases back in the 26 counties. Also, remember, NATO are warmongers and people should say no. Isn't it a pity that Cork are not more active in the city where the real work is rather than hassling protesters at UCC? And they're there to keep the peace, I suppose. That's their job. I can't see NATO accepting Ireland anyway. Our defence forces are way below standard. We've no jets, no submarines and no battle tanks, says Paddy. Why do they need us? I reckon all of these protests are walkers and kyo lovers because they clearly are anti-Tato. I love it. Anti-Tato. I love the cork humour. Just to lighten the mood a little bit. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 Red FM. Let me just say, I see a number of texts there regarding Junaid, the taxi driver who picked up the fare in Tower, took the fare to uh, Glanmire, and the whole thing just turned into an awful, awful situation where he got a very bad beating. I see those texts, and I know that Paul Byrne told us this morning that Gardy are questioning an individual at this moment in time. I can't read out many of those texts, guys. Many people are saying, uh, you know, what they feel about this. Um, uh, and also talking about what should potentially happen. I can't read those out because of the Gardaí being at this time um, questioning somebody and we'll have to wait and see what happens in that regard. 
and then it's kind of it's kind of hands off this story for now because it's in the hands of the Garda Shikana with a suspect and indeed possibility of something else happening after that. Uh, but um, an interesting one here because it was just talking about a drive through the city last night, which was a very pleasant one, I have to say. Uh, at the same time, though, uh, it, uh, it doesn't go unnoticed that somebody else says they witnessed something else. And the, a lot of the issues that we seem to witness seem to be by day, isn't it true? Just a quick message about yet another incident in the city yesterday morning, around about half past ten. I walked out of McDonald's on Dawn Square after grabbing a coffee and right across the road outside Deals on Dawn Square where the flowers are hanging for the late Jason Butler, who died there. Uh, There were two females fighting. They were rolling around on the floor, punching each other and screaming at each other. The incident went on for at least 10 minutes. Uh, No guard of presence on the street. I think it's quite clear that this area needs a guard of presence at all times as there always seems to be some kind of trouble in the Dawn Square area. So thank you for that and that was an observation yesterday morning. I'll come back to everything else throughout the course of the morning. Do text 0868104106 with your own stories but I want to turn to a couple of stories that all connect one individual the independent councillor Kieran McCarthy who joins me by phone. Kieran, good morning. Hi Neil, how are you doing? Okay, one would be the public toilet issue. Secondly would be you taking over the morality tomorrow as Lord Mayor and an early congratulations on that one. Thank but you. first up, the latest news that was reading in the papers this morning regarding All Saints Cemetery, Cars Hill Graveyard, as we know it of, the burial place of upwards of 30,000 people over um, maybe 120, 130 years. Uh, what's happening there and why? Uh, I suppose the why is that has been I suppose, a public campaign over many years that the city council would take, would have a more proactive role of maintaining it. I suppose the public have said, look, it's overgrown, it's a lack of access, it needs more more information and interpretation. Um, and of course, even a couple of months ago or weeks ago, I suppose, Neil, you had me on as well to talk about it and you were calling for it as well. So, yeah. uh, so it's a mixture of general public over many years, media like yourself, councillors and colleagues in, 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 in City Hall kind of pushing for it. And so well, I'm so glad that all of those, yeah. all of that helped to bring it together yeah, because yeah. my visit there, I was absolutely ashamed of what yeah. I saw, ashamed when I went there. Yeah. Yeah, we and yeah, no, I remember the conversation. I know that, and I know there was a lot of people texting as well that they were disappointed. So no, it's good. I mean, there's an opportunity. Look, I, the way I look at it, the city council has an archaeology officer, it's got conservation officers, it's got the knowledge to do more to improve the access, improve the information. I know there's a number of groups as well that want to add to the information kind of panels. I know the some of the mother ba- modern baby homes, uh, far more than baby homes in the region. Actually, some of the babies are buried in Carrickville. Yes. So yes. look, there's an opportunity now to do a lot more commemoration to commemorate what uh, Mr. Sorensen who created the cross way back in time what I suppose what he had in his head his vision in terms of that it would be more on the radar of of the city and the region so I, look, I think it's a it's a good news story and like some like myself and others know we'll, we'll, we'll drive it forward So this was under the remit of the HSE yeah. uh, you won't yeah. say this but I certainly would they did an appalling job with regards to maintaining it I hear city council has no money though so what difference can they make? Um, I suppose at this point in time, there's no strategy for it anyway. So for the future, I know that the HAC didn't have a strategy. So I mean, we can create a strategy and what needs to be done. And in fairness, there is, there are there are heritage council funds, there are general national funds to main, to maintain it, which the HAC I suppose never drew down. Now, when I say that, I mean the HAC have done a really good job actually in the maintenance of the conservation of the front of the old Cork Union Workhouse Lodge and Centre in Bars Hospital. So I'm not going to condemn them fully because I think actually they did a really great job um, on that. But you're but yeah, saying that there was national funding that could have been drawn down that wasn't. And it, yeah, and it wasn't for, for various okay. reasons. But I okay. suppose now we look, it's in the council's hands now, so the buck stops with someone like myself and my other colleagues and 
and the executive saw. We so what, could, what will we forward. see? Uh, firstly, a very serious clean-up and then some proper signage and, and respect shown to many, many lives, much of them very short lives with regards to babies at Besbra, but famine victims yeah. as well. I read in the Echo, Donald O'Keefe, saying that in, in the months between February and June of, of Black 47, 2,260 famine v- uh, victims from the workhouse in St. Finbar's Hospital were laid to rest there, like nearly 2,500 in the space of four months. Yeah, and when, I, and when you say laid to rest, like they were put in open, an open burial, like Sorry, just on top right. of each other. Like we, yeah. we have, lo- like they were just dumped there. If you want to use that term, and so we owe it to those people that are buried there to do a better job in terms of look. Here is here is their story. Um, I think sometimes, like we, uh, in terms of the city's remembering of the famine, we kind of come in and out of it over the years. It depends on if it's the 70, 175th anniversary or the 180th anniversary. Like every few years, we kind of we mark it. But now there's going to be. I mean, a place where people can pull up in the car safely, walk up the lane, see the information panels, uh, and, and a proper remembrance. Also, I mean, the main entrance. I mean, when you go to when you go to it today, like you have to go up through a there's, there is a right away can go up through a farm, and the farmer has been really, really great with the HDO. True, allowing people broken in. gates, though, entrance, totally overgrown. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah, even yeah. start. But, but the main gate, but the main gateway itself, um, it's fallen down. That the, the cross and the gate has actually fallen. It collapsed in the storm during the year. So now, look, there's an opportunity here now to try to, yeah, yeah, I don't know, okay. put it back, slot it back into, into Cork history where it belongs. Okay, it's a, good, yeah, it's a good news story. Let's yeah. hope this opportunity is not missed and wasted. Yeah. From there, because you have been for many years now running historical walking tours in the city, and I was reading, and I don't know how many years you're writing that superb article, for instance, in the Cork Independent. It must be a decade or longer, is it? No, it's 23 and a half years. What? 23 and a half years? Yeah, something like 1,200 of them. Um, and 30 years giving chats and walks of the city and elements like that. Um, yeah, it's been, but, it's, but it's been fun. I mean, look, when, I, when it's like 23 and a half years, it sounds like yesterday. I mean, I, I can remember most of the columns that I've written or what I've written on and stuff. But You love your yeah, city, pal. You love your city. That's why it's great that you're coming in as an incoming Lord Mayor, considering your, your pride in the city. Uh, more on that Thank in a few you. minutes, though. But with regards to the, the, the walking tours... Um, the public toilets in this article it says there are three of them um, yeah. it, like I know about the very discreet one on the Grand Parade where are the other two? There's one in Curls Key anyway um, and I suppose the other ones probably is a reference to in some of our public parks um, there's one we one in Marina Park um, Fitzgerald's Park perhaps? Uh, the, yeah there's one in Fitzgerald's Park but look None of those are none of those are city facilities, though, really, as such. Um, well, the one in Fitzgerald's Park. I think long, there is one in Fitzgerald's Park that's public, but I know there's one in the cafe as well. Okay, okay, uh, a, li- a little, I, a little out of town. So the issue, the issue with the one because we were talking about this toilet on the Grand Parade, which is pretty yeah. close to the library, but not a whole lot of people know about it. That's the issue, isn't it? Signage. It's signage, yeah. But look, if you look at an overall sense of three public toilets, like, it, I, I would have been, a, I'm on record last Monday night saying that's appalling for the city. Like, we need to do more. I mean, at one point there was something like 11 or 12 public toilets and then they all fell out of use or disrepair and then the city council over, I don't know, the last three decades got out of funding public toilets and now we're finding the last few years that, that there's a demand now for public toilets that needs to be met. Uh, but it's just, it comes down, I mean, 
that the, the council and the executive want to invest in public toilets. Just there's no money there. I mean, the, the new toilet they built in Ballancolic Regional Park, I think, cost the bones of half a million euros to create something that was decent. Half uh, a million? Yeah, yeah, in terms of... Well, but, but a lot of it was actually putting in pipes and putting in a, a water conduit. It's actually quite difficult to put in the public toilet. But then how can they find money for robot trees? Uh, well, that, was, that was a central government fund. Okay. So that wasn't a local fund, so... Okay, okay, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But um, by and large, is people going into commercial premises to use the loo or, oh, yeah. or spend a penny? Hey, look, I mean, as someone... You just mentioned me giving walking tours. I mean, I mean, I have, I have loads of people on walking tours over the years kind of going, clear, and I need to go to the toilet now we've been walking for whatever an hour. And I've been kind of going, well, you probably have to ask permission from this private owner. Well, the city is completely and utterly dependent on the, the private business owner, which is which is not good enough. And I've been on, I, I'm, I'm on record of that. Um, can, I, can I just ask you, is it too late now to do some of the one that is there, the one that they closed down, which was certainly very fit for purpose, but used for all of the wrong reasons people were shooting up in there? Is that a busted flush now? Are they really going to take it away? Yeah, well, that was the question I asked at the last council meeting, um, that, if, that if it can't be fixed up, if the infrastructure can't be fixed up, and they, I think it needs an enormous amount of infrastructure to take it down, because all that area actually was completely cluttered and clustered with, yeah, too much, too many buildings and too many just things in the way, like the sense of, yeah, the placemaking there was just poor. Yeah, but it's there, though. Is it not salvageable? No, according to what I got. Um, the last council meeting it's not salvageable we had, we had a debate actually on it there was a number of speakers and I asked well if it's not salvageable what, what's it doing there um, and they, 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 the response I got is that yeah there's a, they're going to take it out um, okay 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 yeah. Yeah. and then the debate went to like yeah the hidden toilets in the city library uh, and many councillors who were unaware of that so um the city created a public toilet policy last year, but at its heart, it's, it's weak. It's weak at best. But are they going to put in a big blazing brazen sign saying public toilets? Well, that's what we raised. That can we actually tell the general public there are actually toilets there instead of like knocking on the door and hoping for the best that this is the right brown door on, on the Grand Parade? Oh, God, so, I shouldn't laugh, but it's just. A... I know, I know, I know, I know. And look, I, I actually completely agree with you. I mean, I, I'm on record to say that it's appalling. Um, and I think there's a number of us inside the council chamber pushing that. Can we actually create proper public right. in the city centre? Will, will, um, will, your, will your year as Lord Mayor be a bit like Klondike when he wanted uh, a male and a female toilet and achieved it on Lee side all those years ago? Will that be the main <laughs> plank of your morality? Do that is my main priority by the end of the year that I can commit to <laughs> public toilet. I'd say that's probably not going to happen, especially in the... <laughs> Yeah, there's an election at the end of this year and it's like council's going to... I would keep the council together now for the year, actually, in terms of keeping them, keeping colleagues focused. But as Cork's first citizen, um, what would you... If you were to hang your morality on one one thing, one topic or one issue, would there be one? Um, I think one of the... I mean, the speech tomorrow night of people, those who are present and who will probably listen online, it, it kind of... It kind of focuses in on look that we need to get the social housing that are, is on stream on track. I think there's something like 5,000, 6,000 social housing units, affordable housing schemes. That's the number one thing that I get from people kind of writing into me. And then climate action, then healthy living. People kind of want, they want more parks across the city. They want more spaces for their families, more playgrounds. Um, I suppose for me to hang my hat on, I suppose I've been working on a few, a Cork is supposed to be climate neutral by 2030. We're doing a European project. Whether that happens or not, it's probably, that's probably not going to happen. But we're going to be on the road and on the track and we need to have 
proper conversations and proper consultations with citizens and business owners and to see what we can do there with that. Okay. So okay. it's hard. I mean, look, look Neil, I, don't, I mean, I've, I've listened to all incoming Lord Mayors come on with you over the years, and I'm 14 years in the council chamber, and I know what can be achieved and we'd say in, in, in a 12-month period in the council chamber. That it's, it's sometimes it's, just, it's a, a huge rock, pushing a, a huge rock actually up the hill. Yeah, the that, that, yeah. That, that climate change, of course, um, is a very contentious one on side because yeah. it involves bus connect, right, and the yeah. railroading yeah. of, and literally the railroading through people's local communities and homes yeah. and villages. Yeah, yeah. And look, and, I, and I've been on the battlefront of that like, for, for a whole year, gone through two consultations with my local, my local, res, with local residents, um, yeah, so it's, it's the, yeah, I suppose it's the pro quo. It's kind of like, yeah, we need to go this direction, but there are also concerns and there are also issues. So how, to, how do we kind of create compromises? How do we bring people on the, put all of us on the same page? And how okay. do we work together? Okay, um, okay, okay. Well, yeah, tomorrow, yeah. tomorrow your morality begins. Undoubtedly, we'll be talking over the course of the next 12 months. Yeah, Best yeah. of luck to Deirdre Ford and good luck to you. Yeah, thank you very, very, very much. All the best for now, Councillor Kieran McCarthy, first elected to City Council in 2009, Cork's next Lord Mayor. Back after the break. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. Uh, still to come this morning, we've got some more family passes to give away for all sorts of different wonderful Cork city and county tourist locations. This morning, we're featuring the Lagoon Activity Centre in Ross Carberry. It's a cracking spot. You'll be able to take on Munster's largest inflatable water park, rent a kayak, take the kids pedal boating, try your hand at stand-up paddle boarding. Uh, for the less adventurous amongst us, just relax over the water deck in the garden and get fresh coffee and food in the cafe. It's wonderful. All fully supervised, trained and qualified lifeguards and everything. It's a fabulous day out down at the Lagoon, Lagoon Activity Centre in Ross Carberry. I know it well. So we have two family passes to give away just before midday. These family passes are worth over €100 Euro each, so you can imagine Imagine what kind of activity you get up to there. So that'll be super duper. And again, tomorrow we'll have more and indeed over the month of July and August. And make sure whatever you do, if you're traveling around Cork City and County over the summer, would you please download the Explore Cork app? It's a super one. It's got 850 different places to see and things to do all over Cork City and County. It's all categorized into activities, locations and different types. I was watching, funnily enough, I was watching Nationwide last night. I don't know why. I just came across it and I stopped because they were doing a great show on Donnerail. I love Donnerail. I've been up there a few times over last summer and what have you and they were in Donnerail House. Now, I didn't see it all so I series linked it so that I can go back and watch the whole thing. Um, but, you know, that's there. Like Donnerail Court is there. The uh, uh, Explore Cork app has it all. Um, is that close to your heart or something or are you jumping in on breakfast rolls or what? Uh, well, no. It was just when you mentioned I love Nationwide, uh, first of all. I never said that. No, no. I, I thought you said you I said really. I love Donnerail. Oh, yeah, well. To come across know, Nationwide. Said, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. But is that record player still in Donnerail? Since, remember, do you were in Donnerail the last time? There was oh, the, the SL12. Oh, the the SL yeah. That's in the antique shop. Is, is there any chance that budget, no? They wouldn't sell it to they me. Didn't, they wouldn't even give it to uh, to Mary Kennedy, no? No, it's, no, no. no. <laughs> it wasn't Mary Kennedy. It was uh, uh, Anne Casson. Oh, Anne Casson. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. Good pal from years back, yeah, Anne yeah, Casson. Yeah, I haven't seen her a long time. No, that record player is still there. And it will always be there when I told them the price of what they'd get if they were to sell it. 
it's one of that's where you slipped up that's where you should yeah you should Uh, no you have to be honest with people I wouldn't want to do that rip someone off and give them 100 euro for something that would be worth 1200 stick it up on ebay then yeah but sure it's only worth 100 euros to them if they sell it for 100 euros it's dishonesty man do you not know that down in East Cork it's dishonesty (laughs) we'd rub the eyes out of the back of your head man (laughs) All right, okay. Actually, can I segue nicely to having <laughs> Robin the eyes out of the back? From that back to value or bad value or bad quality or all of the above. We have a photograph up on Facebook this morning, lads, that you have to see to believe. And I know there's an awful lot of comments going with it. Um, so if I could get some of the comments from Facebook. But it's Linda's story uh, where she had a bad deli day, apparently. Linda, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Did you eat this? Did you eat this no. thing? No, seriously, no, Neil. No, I okay. did not. All right, because no. your text originally to me was, um, thought the days of really bad deli was over, but have a look at what I got this morning in Centra on the Kinsale Road for four fifty. Describe it. Um, I went in this morning looking for a breakfast roll. Uh, they didn't have a medium breakfast roll, so I took a large one and I said to the girl, can I just have bacon and pudding, please? And she said, yeah, no problem. Um, and my biggest rookie mistake was I went on my phone and I did not watch what she was doing. Um, so I left, I paid, I paid 4 for it at the counter, left, got into my car and drove to Wilton because I was running to get an appointment in Wilton this morning and pulled into Wilton and stopped and opened my breakfast roll and that's what I found. And um, it is... You, you you describe it because I've only seen the photograph. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't eat that. In fact, I would think that it wouldn't be advisable to eat it. It wasn't edible. No, it really wasn't. The bacon was just cremated. Um, it was the butter was just manky, and then there was two pieces. I think it was white pudding. I'm not sure. Um, and she had kind of pulled it apart a little bit to try and spread it out over the roll, um, and it just that was it. There was nothing else attached to it, so I <laughs> I sat there looking at it going, no, not that hungry, really and truly. So, no, I, I binned it in Wilton. You just literally wrapped it and binned it? I wrapped okay. it up again and I binned it. Okay, why yeah, Why didn't you go for um, the sausage and, and the eggs? and? Um, no, no. I, I don't do sausages. Um, Bosco turned me off sausages a long time ago when I was a child. If you remember Bosco, he went to the sausage factory Yeah. a long time ago and by God, I never ate a sausage after that. Oh my God, I love sausages. I don't want, oh, I don't, no, I don't want the, I don't go for the cheapier, cheapier ones where you don't know what's in them, but a decent sausage can't be baked. So no, no ketchup either, no? No, I just really wanted bacon and pudding and a small bit of butter. That's all, because I don't, I'm not in a habit of eating a lot of breakfast rolls, but I decided this morning I was in a hurry, I would do it. And I won't be going back there again for a long, long time. Did you say it to them or go back or call no, them? No, I was Nothing. gone. I was gone by the time I realised what I had got in the package. Now, I did message them on uh, Messenger and sent them a picture of what I got and I, they, nobody has answered me okay. since. Okay, okay. We're, we're trying to get in touch with them to see uh, exactly what they have to say. I they get offended. I don't know. Is there? It sounds to me as if there's, there could well be um, uh, an official policy of rationing all of the ingredients. <laughs> 
to say the least. It's, it's, like, it's just horrific. You wouldn't give it to the dog. It's really, really bad. Well, it's certainly the worst thing I've ever seen between two pieces of a roll, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, like, if, if that's the way delis are going again, you know, I mean, like I said to you on the text originally, I thought our days of this were over. Well, bacon like that should have been dumped, not put into a breakfast roll. It's way, exactly. I mean, that, 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 that bacon is cremated because it's been under lights for hours and hours and hours. Um, yeah, this was, this was at half past eight this morning. There's no excuse for that. It's different if it's half past 12 in the day and it's been there since half eight in the morning. This was half eight, 20 to nine this morning. Oh my God, it's shocking. It really and truly is shocking. Um, I'm going to check out some text because we shared it. Uh, somebody says, for instance, that's miserable. I'd rather eat my toenails. Uh, some, somebody okay. says, um, in fairness, they would have seen... Why didn't you see the condition of the food before ordering it? Every deli I've been to, you can see it before they put it in and you can decide whether you want it or not. You were on your phone. I was on my phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was. And then other people sharing, I see photographs of exactly what a super breakfast roll should look like, including the big breakfast roll in Blackpool. Have you ever had a big breakfast roll from Blackpool just across from the furniture centre? No, no. Oh, my God. It is an absolute dream. So I'm just watching Facebook here. People are sharing other photographs and giving okay. examples of where they got, they got theirs and where you should get yours. Name and shame the monstrosity. It was the... <laughs> The Centra on the Kinsale Road. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was. All right. If they apologise and invite, if they apologise and invite you back, would you go back for a better one? No, no, I will never again set foot inside that door. Oh. Okay, all right, okay. Let's see what they have to say on the matter. It could have been just one that slipped through unbeknownst to whomever. I don't know. I, don't, I can't answer as to why they served it, but let's see what they have well, to say on the matter. there was enough of them there this morning. There was, there was more staff and management than customers there this morning, so, you know, there's no excuse for it, really. Did you take a refund if it was offered? Yeah, I'll take a refund. <laughs> I, I won't refuse money anytime. time. Right, okay. <laughs> okay, but once bitten, or not bitten, twice shy. Appreciate it, Linda. All right, let's see what they have to say. Cheers. If you want to see the photograph of what you did actually get, it's hard to believe that anybody would actually serve it, to be honest. It's just not on. It's shocking. Uh, And obviously, because of the contents of it, right, the roll is actually way too big as well as everything else for what they put in between it, I can tell you that. So we'll have to see what they have to say. Oh, listen, you're also listening out sometime between now and midday, and happen very soon, uh, two more conservation annual passes to give away. We've got them every single day, courtesy of ourselves and Photo Wildlife Park. So you are listening out for a movie and an animal character from a movie every single day. You need to identify both. So here's today's. Ah, thank you. Ah, what do you know? Oh, oh, this is going to be fun. We can stay up late, swapping manly stories, and in the morning... I'm making waffles. I'm making waffles. The donkey. Okay, so uh, you need to identify the film and the animal character. When you hear this cue to call, and you're going to hear it again in the next 10 minutes, uh, callers 9 and 10 on 0818104106 win a conservation annual family pass. Uh, We have two of them to give away today. Okay, so when you hear it again, pick up the phone and get dialing. Uh, text 0868104106. Stunder Ray on the air yesterday regarding his 21 failures. Um, 21 times he's taken the uh, driving test and failed. He is going to keep on trying. A lot of texts on that. Observation, Neil, is very important. Plenty of observation. It's absolutely vital during the test, as well as checking the mirrors. It's the most important aspect of the test, yes. And unfortunately, that's the area that he keeps on failing in. I did my test last week and didn't need a mask. Um, I didn't use one and neither did the tester. We were asking questions yesterday uh, as to why 
uh, somebody was asked to wear a mask last week. My daughter did a driving test recently. No mask was needed, says uh, Margaret and Douglas. My son did his driving test first time yesterday. Didn't have to wear a mask. He passed first time. Well, there you go. Plenty of observation, I suppose, and checking on your mirrors. Then on the topic of cats or people or students identifying as cats. Um, Cats don't go to school, so if they are a cat, then they need to leave. Animals are not allowed. On the topic of identifying as an animal, if a bat is in your house, you cannot do anything about it. You cannot evict it or get rid of it. So if people are in difficulty and find themselves being evicted, they should identify as a bat and they would be 100% protected by the Endangered and Protected Animals Act. Uh, I love you guys in the way you think. If this is the way society is going and if this mantra is being supported officially, then we may as well play the game, don't you think? Identifying in schools as cats, dogs, horses are indeed um, dinosaurs. Why can't it just be acceptable to have an opinion and say on these kinds of topics, freedom of speech and all that? If people think it's bizarre, can they not have the opinion to believe it's bizarre? each to their own. If someone finds it a bit mad, should they not be allowed to say that they think it's mad? When a child is in school identifying as a cat, I believe it is quite worrying. But the world has become so PC. You have to be so careful about what you say now and how you say these things these days. It's worse it's going to get. I don't know about that. I think that the tide of equality with regards to opinions is turning for the better, that people are becoming less afraid. I think it's a very reasonable thing to actually wonder is this the way society is going that we are so afraid that we accept children in school saying that they are cats or dogs or dinosaurs or horses? Um, is, is that the kind of indoctrination that we're living with now where children and students, and these are secondary school students, uh, think that this is acceptable? Is it worrying from the point of their own mental health, I wonder? Uh, one final one. Have people gone completely mad? I understand and accept transgender people, but the day my child comes home and tells me that they want to identify as a cat, They'll be sleeping and eating as the animals they claim to be. No animals of any uh, any kind allowed in my house. So thank you for those. Keep them coming. And unfortunately, we're never too far from another scan and a scam. And, you know, a lot of the time it's uh, young children. Um, a warning to people. My daughter tried to buy her sister a gift of a Codeline ticket today and everything seemed to be genuine. But she got scammed after she revoluted the money. She was trying to do something nice and kind for her sister and she's absolutely devastated. It's really horrible how people think it's okay. I know it was only 60 euro. I think it's a lot of money. But she only works 8 to 12 hours a week. So it was over half of her wages. I'm upset and angry and I don't want it to happen to anyone else. Well, I've said it a long, long time. You have to be so aware if you're buying anything online involves you sending money first. If you're sending money first, it's a no-go and you should not have anything to do with it. Okay, can I flip then from breakfast rolls, if you don't mind, back to a topic that we dealt with earlier in the week. There are numerous petitions around now uh, with regards to saving the HB chalk ice. HB announced at the weekend that they were discontinuing HB chalk ices. It's our own fault. People weren't eating enough of them. There are too many ice creams and ice lolls out there to choose from. And I suppose the Magnum was giving the chalk ice, chalk ice a run for its money and probably beating it with regards to popularity. But I think it would be very sad if the HB ice cream was no more because, of course, it's been around for so many years. I shared a photograph, actually. I know we put it up on our Instagram and our own Facebook. I'll put it up on my own Instagram later on. Of uh, Was it a loop-the-loop, was it? 
Was that the loop the loop? Uh, the loop the loop ice cream, ice lot. So we took the loop the loop that was bought and we put it next to an iPhone, right? And the loop the loop is about two thirds the size of the length of the ice cream of the iPhone. It's tiny. I checked again at the, with the wrapper to see if this was actually from a multi-pack, but it was not. It didn't say on the wrapper that it was a multi-pack. Things are definitely, definitely getting smaller. It was a shocking sized uh, loop-de-loop. But anyway, enough of that. Back to HB. Uh, chalk ice, 60 years uh, chalk ice uh, has been amongst us in the fridges of supermarkets and local shops. So Seamus took to the streets the other day to see if Lee Siders will miss the chalk ice. He also asked what ice cream from their youth or ice laws that they would like brought back. Have a listen. Bring me sunshine in your smile. Bring me laughter. I don't know. I've bought a chalk ice for years. No, I never buy them. Well, they do say it's the poor man's magnum, isn't it? <laughs> well, she left me the other day because well, she got a loop de loop, and somebody said to her that's the poor man's ice cream. Ice cream, the loop de loop. Yeah. So I don't know. And are th- is there any favourite ice cream from your childhood that you'd like to bring back? Oh, let's see. No, I suppose the one thing I used to love, and they're probably still out there, are the ice burgers. Remember those? Yeah. No, they're still there. Yeah, yeah they're lovely. Still there. But no, nothing tastes the same anymore. No. They took all the good stuff out of it. And, <laughs> and they're smaller, aren't they? Everything's smaller. Everything's smaller. From your childhood, is there any ice cream that you'd like to see back? Oh, the Calippo, uh, yeah, the Calippo shots. Yeah, definitely. I didn't know it would stop making. That's sad. Sad. <laughs> they should bring it back. Are there any other ice creams that have gone that maybe that you'd like to see brought back? The little small plain white gollywog. Yeah. Not an ice cream man. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I see that's where it's gone. It's disappointing because they actually are lovely ice creams. I enjoy them. They were around years. But do you think that it's just that they couldn't end up competing with the Magnum, for instance? Well, they could, but I don't know Like, how much are they. Like, I don't know how much the difference are. You know, it depends. People enjoy it. Would you miss the uh, the chalk ice being going now? Not really. I'm not an ice cream lover, and but children like them. So it's a pity. We're uh, Americans, so I don't think so you have an opinion on this. You wouldn't know what a chalk ice is, no? No, we wouldn't know. <laughs> White ice cream dipped in chocolate. And Sounds good. <laughs> a humble chalk ice, gone. Gone. I get old of it. Apparently, it's not popular anymore. It is with me. Would you eat many? <laughs> On a hot day like today, yeah, I would eat one or two. Yeah, yeah. Bring back the tacos. And is there the any tacos. other any other ice cream you'd like to bring back that's gone from your childhood? Well, geez, we still have the ninety nine, so I'm okay. We do. We yeah, yeah. the chili willies are gone. <laughs> the and chili willies are gone. Yeah. The chili willy knows when you're walking out into the sea and you're kind of. Ugh. <laughs> And the fat frog. <laughs> the fat frog, yeah. yeah what about yeah. yourself? Would you miss the chalk ice, would you? Not, not particularly. No? Be a fan, no. It's a big magnum moment, yeah. Yeah, I'd love the magnum, yeah. So is the chalk ice a poor man's magnum, is it? Yeah, old-fashioned, I suppose. From growing up, what ice creams would you like to be brought back? She's from Little Island, now, so the magnum, like, is very posh, you know? Um, I can't remember what oh, I can't remember ice creams oh, only a cone really having a cone and as a child I did don't you remember. not have clips or anything like that over on the island no no 
we're cut off. They didn't even have those, uh, those seven cent uh, ice things, you know. That oh my gosh, the they were totally depraved. Mr. Freezers, wasn't it? Yeah, no. The Vista Freeze, I remember them. Everybody falls in, me included, the mistake of calling Calipos Calypsos. Anyway, uh, HBD said that they continue to offer the ice burger, the brunch, and the loop the loop, tiny loop the loops. And they're saying they're bringing back the chalk ice cream feast in time to, for the sun and the sunshine. Uh, but apparently the chalk ice is gone. Um, what about the wibbly wobbly wonder? Anybody old enough to remember the wibbly wobbly wonder? That was one fine ice lot. But we were talking at least there's 99s across the summer with the flake on top. Amy says White's Centra in Toker, the best for a 99. June's in Massytown McCroom, gorgeous. Mandy says, does anyone know if there's any place that does vegan and dairy-free cones? Probably not. A gala in Ovens is another good spot for the 99. We make the best 99s in Centra in Watergrass Hill. What are your breakfast rolls like? <laughs> Ballinascarty shop near Clonakilty. My kids love it and it's proper ice cream. The Garrettstown Beach 99. The best ice cream memories at the shop at the crossroads for the wafers. Remember when you get the bit of ice cream from the block between two wafers. Oh, gorgeous thing. Centra in Mallow. Foley's Express Store. Hennessy's Garage up over Dublin Hill. Unbelievable 99s. O'Reilly's in Blackpool. Kevin O'Leary's on the South Douglas Road. Uh, Lulu's at the lock, apparently. Pedro the Sailor Man's ice cream. A great van. Uh, one or two more here. There's lots of them. June's cost cutters in McCroom. Uh, in my opinion, says Chris, they're all the same. No, they're not all the same. They vary big time. They can vary in the quality of the ice cream itself and the size of the cone too, right? Um, anyway, did you want to jump back in? Sorry, yeah, I was just saying I have a poster there for you from 1979, a HB poster going back on some of the things that people might remember a little bit before my time. Um, I don't think the packaging in a golly bar would cut the mustard at the moment Uh, in today's society. I think think that... It's a little black face, that's why the golly is gone. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's probably why we don't have that anymore. But uh, yeah, like uh, Loop to Loop was six pence. (laughs) Like, I mean, how, you wouldn't be giving out about the size of a loop-de-loop if you got it for six In pence, the 1970s? 1979, yeah. You have uh, the mini split. I remember the splits. Do you remember What's the, the orange splits? urinated? What? When you urinated, when you converted from... Oh, urinated. Oh, yeah, okay. So I got the Dracula, I remember that. That was green with kind of a red a red centre to it. They were yeah, lovely. I don't remember. And chalk ices were kind of... They were almost like a premium brand, weren't they? No, I know the Cornetto was 20p. Which is quite a lot Go more than there. your... HB had an ice cream called the Nogger. The no- <laughs> It's an interesting name for an ice cream. That is, that is one type away from a, a lawsuit, isn't it? Nogger. It really is like Froger. They had the old Froger. That looked nice. That kind of looked like a precursor to a brunch. The brunch was expensive. It was 13 pence. Yeah, 13 no, pence. And a rum and raisin. I remember the Froger. That was actually uh, frozen right. yogurt. It was nice, actually. And the other one then I see there is the mint chalk ice. Yeah, the mint yeah. chalk ice. And I was going to actually come on to say mint icebergers. For a while they did mint icebergers and they were just to be his knees they like, got rid of all of the good stuff I know they, they, like even like even the, the, the like the wibbly wobbly wonder or do you remember the the big foot what was that, what was that one called the big the, that was it that the was it big foot, foot. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah that yeah. was a weird <laughs> uh, who had the idea to say you know we need to attract people we'll make an ice cream right but we'll make it look like your foot so they, they look even in that photograph they look an awful lot bigger than the ones we are like that ice burger looks twice the size of the ice yeah, burger that I know huge, it actually it? is twice the size of the ice burger that we have now it's it's a shame. But it's you so were talking long. there about vegan ice cream. Um, we do have a guy in Cork that actually does make vegan ice cream. Oh, is he? 
Do you remember speaking to Jim Byrne from Happy Days Ice Cream? He's based in Little Island. Okay. He was on with us there a couple of years ago. Okay, that'll answer the question. Jim Byrne, is he, do you have to go to, if you got to go to Little Island for I the I don't know if cream? he's still operating, but he was operating back in 2020. Do you remember the pistachio vegan ice cream he sent in? It was, oh my God, amazing. It was, yeah. So it is available. Okay, just one or two more before I love you and leave you for today. My apologies to anybody else that was, was standing by. We'll pick it up in the morning. Here's a lovely text on ice creams and night. Best Sunday memory is my dad rowing us across from the ferry slip in Yall over to the ferry point in his fishing boat for a picnic and a swim and then a trip to the little shop on the hill for an ice cream. We didn't have much back in the day but we always look forward to that Sunday afternoon outing. Lovely memories that I treasure. Best ice cream in Yall, meanwhile, is Flavin's. But that's a lovely memory from the slip in Yall over to the ferry point. It's the simple things that don't cost much money. But it's amazing that that memory has always been with you. OK, lads, uh, keep those lines open. Text 0868104106 for whatever may be on your mind. Uh, I'll come back after the break, but a little bit of housekeeping that needs doing for now. <laughs> you know the drill. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. I love your sense of humour. It's talking about people identifying as cats or dogs or horses or dinosaurs. Paul in Cove says, I know a lad that's identified as a Lodal driver for years and he's getting away with it. What's going on there? Um, anyway, prize-wise today, uh, Melissa Norberg in Church Road in Black Rock and Laura O'Brien from Joe Murphy Road in Balafihan each win a conservation annual pass for the entire year, obviously, for the family for photo wildlife parks. We were talking about this uh, audio clip. Have a nation. Oh, ah, what are you doing? Oh, oh. This is going to be fun. We can stay up late, swapping manly stories, and in the morning, I'm making waffles. Of course, we're talking about Shrek, and we're talking about Eddie Murphy and the character of the donkey. So tomorrow we upgrade the uh, uh, prizes for photo wildlife park to a VIP tour, two nights overnight in the four-star Oriel House Hotel, dinner on one night for a family of two adults and up to three children, plus a picnic to enjoy. Um, I, I don't know what centre on the on the Kinsale Road could actually say in defence of what they serve that customer, uh, but I hope that they learn from it. Uh, quite an amount of people are very annoyed about the state of it. Can't beat the breakfast roll in uh, black black breakfast roll shop in Blackpool. Somebody says, that's vile. I've looked at the photograph. But then again, I can only imagine what the state of the food display in the rest of the deli counter must be like. Uh, somebody says, you can see them making them over the counter, so you should know what it was in what was in it. Uh, I'd, have had said, I'd have just said, no, thank you. That looks awful. And I'd have left the counter and went elsewhere. Evelyn was on her phone when all this was happening, so she didn't see the contents of it. Uh, the, um, the absolutely cremated two bits of rasher. And what seems to be passing off as you can't even tell if it's a black or white pudding piece. I wouldn't give it to a dog. Uh, back in over the deli, I'd fire it. It's not fit for consumption. Uh, and then other people talking about the fact that um, you wouldn't feed that to a carry man. <laughs> in great form today, I can tell you the whole lot of you. Okay, we have two family passes to give away for the Lagoon Activity Centre in Ross Carberry. I told you all about it earlier this morning. I don't have time to replace, but you will repeat, but you'll have a wonderful day down there. Each family pass is the equivalent of four passes to the water park and four passes to the uh, kayaking or the stand-up paddle boarding. They're worth over €100 Euro each for you and the family. You will have a great day down at the Lagoon Activity Centre in Ross Carberry. Callers 9 and 10 for that on 0818-104-106. Sadly, I'm out of time. As to what happens across the rest of the day with Titan um, and the uh, search for the submersible, I do not know. But I suppose the afternoon will tell a lot. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.